This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, Elon here. We weren't scheduled to drop an episode into our feed today, but we've been recording a bunch of bonus content for the patrons lately, and we decided we'd give you one of those episodes that we recorded yesterday that I thought was a lot of fun. I was joined by Dave Betton, who you've heard on the show before, the current Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Ultimate Champion, to record part two of a series we've been working on for the patrons called Good Pick, Bad Pick. Basically, the gist is that every day in the patron Facebook group, we've been voting on a player to add to our rankings, and in our first Good Pick, Bad Pick episode, we went through all of the first 25 picks that were ranked, and Dave and I took turns debating whether it was a good pick or a bad pick. This time, we went picks 25 to 45, and we even had a judge this time, Ben Burnett from Average Time on Ice. He joined us, and he decided for each player that we debated who won the debate between me and Dave for the player deciding if it was a good pick or a bad pick. It was a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, if you don't mind, I'd love to take a moment to just plug a couple of things that I hope you might be interested in. First of all, if you like this episode, you may want to go back and listen to part one of Good Pick, Bad Pick, or uh, PatronCast, or some of the other patron content we've been releasing. So if you check out KeepingCarlson.com slash patron, you could sign up as a patron of Keeping Carlson for any amount for the next month still, and you'll have access to all of the bonus content. So that's there for you. Also, as we've mentioned quite a few times, we are gearing up to record the second annual Keeping Carlson NHL Audio Almanac, where we're going to be basically recording an audiobook, 32 chapters, one per team, plus one extra for goalies, and in each chapter we'll break down the fantasy values of every single player that we think is fantasy relevant on the NHL team. We'll come up with a projection, Brian and I will debate it, we'll put it on a spreadsheet which will also be available, and we'd love for you to get in on the pre-order for our almanac that we'll be recording at the end of August, so you could get in on that at keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. We've added a couple of perks for people who pre-order the almanac. First and foremost, if you pre-order, you're going to be able to have access to the chapters early because you'll be able to watch live or get access to the live video recordings as we record them. Also, we've initiated a few slow drafts that we're going to be doing for the pre-order purchasers. It's a really fun exercise. Basically, a slow draft is like a regular draft, but you have like 12 hours per pick. Obviously, we try to do a little faster than that, but you know, it could go on for a week or two, and we all draft teams, and it's going to be really valuable data for Brian and I to use when we record. The Almanac will basically have ADPs from really smart Almanac pre-order purchasers for all the players. We'll be able to weave all that data in, and plus we'll have Facebook chats for the slow draft. So it's going to be a lot of fun if If you sign up to do a slow draft, you'll be in a league with Brian, myself, and other pre-order purchasers. That should be a lot of fun. One last thing I'll mention about the Almanac is that we have decided to 
give the opportunity for people to sponsor a chapter if they'd like. Basically, this is your chance for $65, Eric Carlson's number. You basically become the sponsor of, let's say, the Boston Bruins chapter, and we will basically do a one-minute ad read for you. So if you have something you want to plug, we can say that, or if you want to just give a note to people in your league, we'll just say whatever you want to say within reason, of course. So that might be a fun opportunity for you if you wanted to get in on that. Obviously, it's first come, first serve per chapter. So if you want to sponsor a chapter, just go to keepincarlson.com slash sponsor, and that will redirect you to where you need to go. So, okay, to summarize, keepincarlson.com slash patron. If you want to get some more patron bonus content, keepincarlson.com slash almanac to get in on the almanac pre-orders. That's $20. Uh, There's a discount for patrons, which they already know about. And keepincarlson.com slash sponsor if you want to sponsor an almanac chapter. But, okay, enough of this rambling. Let's get to this fun bonus episode, Good Pick, Bad Pick, Part 2 with Dave Bedden and Ben Burnett. Hope you like it. Welcome, everybody. It's Saturday afternoon, a perfect time to record some bonus patron Keeping Carlson content. I've got with me Dave Benton, the guy who's organizing the Keeping Carlson Facebook group patron rankings. We did an episode a couple weeks ago where we went through the first 25 patron-ranked players, and we debated whether they were good picks or bad picks. And now we've got Dave here again to go 26 through 50. Yes, and then this time, not only did I win the first time, uh, but now we have a moderator to confirm that I won as well. Right, so you say you won. No one has told me this but you, but this time it's going to be more official because we've got the great Ben Burnett from Average Time on Ice and the Facebook group. And what else are you from? And from Calgary? Uh, yeah, I'm actually, I would much rather prefer to rep the fact that I'm from New Brunswick. I do live uh, in Alberta right now, but that's more of an unfortunate fact about me than uh, a true, you know, my true being. Um, thanks what's for your, having me, guys. I'm really excited. What's your hometown, Ben? Uh, I'm originally from St. John, New Brunswick. But I mean, in your heart, what's your hometown in your heart? If someone asks you, what's your hometown? What do you say? I guess right now I rep the fact that I live in Okotoks, Alberta, because I I work for the, I worked for the town, and uh, now I work for a community radio station out here. So I just feel like I'm very in the community here right now, uh, and I, I but I miss the East Coast all the time, and I talk about it. I love Elon, that answer constantly. Elon, you're the only person who goes like, okay, but not where you were born. Where's your hometown? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like hometown is a feeling. It's where you the town where you feel at home. Brian doesn't let me say that my hometown is Toronto. He says I have no, to say No, yeah, it's hometown's where you were born. I, well, then that's my hometown born. is St. John. My hometown <laughs> is St. John. I live in Okotoks, though. Yeah, yeah, your hometown is where your home is. That's my opinion. But okay, we can't spend the whole time I feel on like that. <laughs> I feel like your question is like trying to get at like some ineffable feeling <laughs> that you can't really define. All right, so you're giving Dave the first point here on arguing uh, hometown. All right, Actually, so the I do have something to say as uh, as the moderator, as the judge of this event. I went back, I listened to what I could of the first installment of the show, uh, of the Good Pick, Bad Pick, and uh, I judged the first 13 selections uh, <laughs> for who I thought had the best argument. And in my opinion, Elon won seven to six. Oh, well, at least it was uh, close. It was very, very close. No doubt. All right, well, I'm hoping to just keep it close for the second round. And I guess maybe a secondary, I want to provide good content. But number one, I, I got I to win here. So <laughs> that's the main priority. So how about we get going? I've got the list up of players. 
and we're on number 26. Dave, last time we were doing this, you were arguing pro of getting Malkin. I was con. So how about I'll go pro number 26, Elias Pettersson. Have at it. All right. I mean, what is there to say, right? 66 points in 71 games as a rookie. Not even like a rookie, like a 19-year-old rookie. This guy was a baby. and He was already almost a point per game. He was dominating the Swedish league amongst men, breaking records, getting higher points in a season than Peter Forsberg did, or the last you know rookie to lead the league since Peter Forsberg. Something like that. He's in the same vein. And if you're talking about Peter Forsberg back in the day, you're not waiting till number 26 to draft him. Definitely once it's number 26, you're jumping all over this guy. And I feel like it's the exact same for Elias Pettersson. His 76-point pace last season... I guarantee that's going up next year. Maybe we're going to be talking about 85, 90. Like, definitely this is a guy that if you could get him this late in the draft, it's a steal. I feel like he's pretty much a sure thing. Like, I don't see how, like, barring injury, right? Like, I don't see how he's not well above a point per game. Uh, a couple things. Firstly, um, this isn't really late in the draft. It's the 26 pick. So in a 14-team league, like in a couple, this is still like top of the second. Or actually, no, I guess it would be bottom of the second round. But still, regardless, second round. Uh, but for Con for Elias Peterson, uh, first off, he's a center. Uh, you always want to have that as a con just because you can find centers out the wazoo, even on the waiver wire down the line. Uh, secondly, yeah, he did get 66 points in 71 games, but only 144 shots, which is very, very bad. And not only that, he shot at a 19.4 percentage, which is way too high. And on top of that, you also saw he's a little brittle. I mean, eventually he'll hopefully grow into his size a little bit more. But for right now, we kind of saw a little bit last year how easy it is for someone to just take a whack at him and he's going to go down pretty hard. And so I'm a little bit concerned about his durability. I'd rather let someone else take him this high and take something of a little bit more of a sure thing, kind of like what the next pick is going to be. Big mistake. Also, one more point I want to make before Ben judges. Uh, I feel like Pedersen, not only is he going to get better, his line mates are going to get better. Like Brock Besser only played 69 games, so he missed time with injury. Hopefully Besser's there the whole time. Plus now they've got JT Miller, who I think is an improvement over, like uh, if you look at Pedersen's most common line mates last season, it was Besser and Josh Levo or Besser and Nikolai Goldobin. Now we're going to have a more established player in JT Miller, maybe Michael Furland. So like, there's lots of good options to make sure that Pedersen is playing with the good boys. I'll also counter argument that that we don't know how the lines are going to shake out. Obviously, they're, they're new people. They might try and create a more like balanced lines as opposed to just trying to stack one. All right, fair. All right, Ben. I guess uh, let's see how this goes. How do we do? So, uh, I definitely agree with the. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see how the Besser Pedersen connection. Uh, continues to mature into the second year together i think that that could be a huge boon but i i think dave hit all the major points to kind of fear with pedersen especially uh at the bottom of the second with a center it's really tough to draft a center in the second round for me unless you're getting like great value with a a sagan or somebody somebody who's slipping into the the twenties. Um, so I prefer Dave's argument here. I will dock both of you some points for mispronouncing his name though. It is Elias Petterson. Elias Petterson. Okay. So we both lose. Okay, I'm gonna get that right. I'm glad to get I'm glad to get it right in the patron only content. If, if you're gonna dock me points for name mispronunciations, this is not gonna go well for me. <laughs> Remember how Dave pronounced uh Elias Petterson's uh, most common line mate in the last episode. I'm just gonna. That's just a mental tally I'm keeping to use later as blackmail. Not not going into this tally. I believe for those who uh, weren't listening, he I believe said Brock Bozier. 
<laughs> so, it might right. be. Have you asked Brock? All right. So now that I've lost this point anyways, I will give some credence to the center thing. And I've actually been trying something. I've been doing a slow draft with some of the patrons. And by the way, okay, let me finish the story and then I'll rant about other stuff. But like uh, I decided to try a strategy where I haven't been drafting any centers. I went nine rounds without drafting a center. So I had like all, I, there's four centers that need to be drafted. I had all the spots open. I got Andre Kopitar in the 10th round as my first center. So I feel like obviously I'd prefer Pedersen to Kopitar at this point, but for like a eight round difference, I definitely get the reason why you might want to just pass on centers for now because you could maybe still get some really good ones later on. So that is a good point. And I hope that I'll have some centers to argue against so that I can make that point again. I thought also, Elon, there were a few spots where you were like one or two picks away from getting like a Couturier or a Trocheck, or there, there was another center who almost fell to you that uh, I thought would have been a very reasonable number one center. So like, you know, maybe it was just the luck of the draw against patrons, but in another league, I think you could have had a, a, a really solid number one center, even if you had waited those eight rounds. Yeah, it'll be fun afterwards. We could share the results and then like maybe order them by like just centers, only left wings and kind of see like what the order was for center ranks. And we're going to be doing a bunch more slow drafts for everyone who pre-ordered the Almanac. I've already set up two of them that are going to start on Monday and we got a third one almost full. We just need four more signups. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to take all the data from all the slow drafts we do and we can start getting like a whole ADP thing going for patron and Almanac pre-order slow drafts. I feel like that's a much more reliable ADP than whatever you're going to see on Yahoo with all these Yahoo that drafted who was that defenseman <laughs> on the Leafs that was like ranked super high Mar- March Marcinin Marinchin <laughs> Marinchin yeah he was like ADP was super high just because for some reason he was like in the higher in the ranks so uh, these will be very valuable data points and uh, so far in the sample of one Kopitar uh, falls a lot <laughs> and so does like you said Couturier and, and the Trocek okay so uh, Dave's winning one nothing and now Dave you get to argue for Patrice Bergeron at 27 Alrighty, about to go up 2 nothing here because this one is a slam dunk here. Uh, when we talk about kind of where we're drafting right now, still in the first two rounds, you still kind of want that sure thing. You kind of don't want to be shooting for the moon in one of your top couple picks. And so Patrice Bergeron is the rock that you need at the bottom of the second round here. 26 overall is great value. He's obviously clearly come alive. He's on the best line in hockey up there in Boston, and he's – Last year, he was one of the best years of his career. He had 79 points in only 65 games. And then he had probably one of the top averages in points per game in the kick couple. That format really favors him. And I don't really see where you can find any flaws in his game. So I'm excited to hear your argument for him. All right. I can think of a few things to say. Like, first of all, if I were to tell you without naming names, hey, there's this player who had a career year at age 33. Do you think he's going to go up or down in his age 34 season? I think the majority of people would be voting down. People don't generally aren't still on the uptick when they're hitting age 33, especially if they're weathered like Patrice Bergeron. This guy's played a lot of games. He's super injury prone. He only played 65 games last year, 64 games the year before. For that also so okay so so our, so so far my two points are a he's probably gonna just regress b he's getting older and c he's like injury prone so you're gonna potentially miss him in key games another point i want to throw out there is boston has been sort of tinkering with moving david pasternak to play on the second line sometimes it is possible that maybe in an, in an effort to spread things around maybe bergeron won't be with marshawn and pasternak all the time i wonder if that could potentially hurt him uh so yeah, I guess those are my main points. I could probably throw out a couple other out there. I guess this is the C eligibility also, right? Like if we look up 
who went next after Bergeron. We've got like John Carlson, who's super high in terms of value over replacement compared to like Bergeron. Like the next center that went is Sebastian Ajo. I, I feel like I'm just as happy to get Ajo than Bergeron, maybe even more. So why not grab a D here since there's going to be so many centers later on? So those are my anti-Bergeron points. So I do agree oh. that while he's playing, like last year he was super valuable. It's just like, is he going to be able to do it again? I'll I'll quickly counter. So it sounds like your main points against are just ageism and then also <laughs> he might get injured, which you could say about everyone. You can, I mean, you could say it about everyone, except some players it's more likely than others. Like I generally don't like to draft based on injuries unless it's like one of these. There's like a handful of players who I just feel like you know are going to get hurt. Like Sven Berchi. Like this guy's not going to play a full season. Malkin's not. Latang, Patrice Bergeron's in that short list. All right. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> Yeah, I think you make a really good point, especially mentioning Malkin. Um, the They've played the same amount of games the last three years, and everyone's gun-shy of drafting Malkin. He's, has he appeared on this list so far? Did he go 25? Is that right? Yeah, he went 25, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that Patrice Bergeron, his best value is that he is such a value because he slips because of that injury recognition. And I don't think that this list really uh, shows that kind of uh, factors that in. So I think I, I think I side with Elon here. He is probably the 25th, 26th most valuable, but I don't think that he is the, that he's like the best pick that you could get of this lot. And also, okay. So just maybe you guys could help me out since we're here, we're going to be doing that almanac and Brian and I are going to have to come up with projections and we do our projections on point pace and not based on like actual points, taking injuries into consideration. So last year he had that hundred point pace, but his highest before that was 81, which was the previous year. And before that, his highest was 70. And like before, you know, like, I mean, like it's just recently that he's had this huge surge in point pace. Do you see him next year still being a hundred point pace guy? Or can you see going back to at least that 81 from 2017? 18 or maybe even like lower anything in that range is definitely possible but like also extremely good and elite so like i'm just not worried about patrice bergeron next year i just don't know that i'm it's tough to find a spot to draft a injury uh an injury risk center at 26 yeah or 27 i mean now that i've gotten the point i will say that like depending on like you know the draft there's a lot of factors and there are a lot of good players coming but like he is like a nice hired gun and if he does maybe this is a little too early it's it's hard to say but there is a point where he becomes like like you said like super great value if people are all gun shy because while he is in i i feel like in head-to-head leagues even if a player is injured you could maybe withstand him being away as long as he's there for your fantasy playoffs by the way matthew said uh he feels like Latang's redeemed himself the last couple of years i don't know last year he only played 65 games and i believe he missed some crucial time at the end. I traded for him in one league, and then I believe he was in my IR for a lot of my fantasy playoffs. So it didn't feel like he redeemed himself there. It was classic Latang. Uh, but I get your point. The season before, he actually played a full season, which was nice. Yeah, I think he's a little, probably more valuable in like an auction format, just because like, yeah, he might, this might be a little high uh, for a standard uh, snake draft. But if you can get him maybe for like a 28, low 30s, I think that's probably good value. Yeah. Well, he just went 53 in our slow draft. And it's like looking at that, how do you beat that value? Who went? Sorry. That's crazy. Bergeron went 53. Wow. To be fair, uh, in our slow draft, his value, I think, is a lot worse. Because, like, just what I said about head to head, where even if the guy gets injured, it's not so bad. You throw him in your IR, you pick up a hot free agent. But in our slow draft, the whole point is it's just going to be the total number of points for the whole season. You don't get to, like, replace him while he's injured. So that makes him a lot worse because if you don't think he's going to play all those games, you're just, like, losing points. Okay, let's go to, uh, I guess, number 28. I'm arguing pro John Carlson. 
Uh, I think this is an easy one, to be honest. He, last season, had his second straight year of being super elite in terms of fantasy points. He had 70 points last year, 68 the season before. Dave, you mentioned in our last show that you consider like anyone over like 50 points for defense and to be elite. So to get like in the 70 range is super reliable. Plus, as a fun little bonus of these like elite scoring defensemen, I think John Carlson is the highest in terms of blocks. He had 164 blocks last year. So you're getting your points, you're getting your blocks. There's like no competition. Who's usurping John Carlson on that top power play? You know, like we could talk about guys like Klingberg who probably have their job, but you know, there's Haskin in there who is at least a little bit of a threat, right? Uh, John Carlson, I don't see anyone there that's taking his job next year. So I think those points are super reliable. He, and he's helping you with the blocks, decent for shots. Uh, so I feel like just such great value here. I, in fact, I remember I had to argue pro on Victor Hedman before. And the main reason I felt like my heart wasn't really in it was because I would have rathered John Carlson over Victor Hedman. So it was hard to justify taking Hedman so much earlier. My main argument against this is pretty simple. It's just too high for a defenseman. Uh, you're going to handicap your team in other formats. And you'd kind of really have to go, if you're drafting him this high, you'd kind of really kind of corner yourself in terms of draft strategy in regards to kind of going heavy D and then kind of hoping that you'll be able to maybe trade them down the line to make up for other facets of your roster. Uh, I mean, yeah, in looking at his stats, his stats are good. You know, 68 points the season before, 70 points last year. Uh, but you mentioned the blocks. And while that does get you points in this format, that also kind of makes him more prone to injuries. Uh, so he has been somewhat formidable the last two years. Uh, but someone who's blocking that much, you obviously saw what it did to Carlson. Um, I wouldn't trust it. Uh, big mistake. I, I don't even believe you. I think you're just trying to get points here. I feel like you agree that I, I don't know this whole thing you're saying about don't draft defensemen early. I love I think I have the exact opposite strategy. I feel like take the value over replacement guys. There's going to be lots of good centers and even wingers later on. I love getting those like elite defensemen because there's so few of them. But uh, all right, if that's uh, why don't we uh, let the judge decide? I, I am genuinely curious whether or not uh, you believe the argument about John Carlson being injury, like an injury risk, Dave. Is that something that you you are worried about? Yeah, for someone who actually does block that much, it really is. I'd rather have my, uh, you know, my waiver wires be picking up my blocks instead of uh, the people I'm drafting in the second round. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I feel like you kind of argued against yourself, though, when you casually mentioned his point totals, though, like two seasons in a row of over 68 points for a defenseman. It's really tough not to side with Elon after like after with a player like John Carlson at this point and after those two seasons. So I got to give that one to Elon. It's not your fault, Dave. That that was a hard one. That was was a little tough one. Yeah. John Carlson, by the way, 5.2 fantasy points per game last season. Artemi Panarin also had 5.2. So yeah, that's really the only argument I can make is that, hey, just don't draft D this early. Because <laughs> other than yeah, that, he's like enough. great at everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those blocks just like, th- those points really rack up. Shots, blocks, plus points. Like, hard to beat. Love me, my John Carl. I might even take John Carl. It's going to be fun to decide who's the better Carlson, you know? Like, I feel like next year everyone's going to be drafting Eric Carlson first, but... This past season, I think John Carlson, in terms of average points per game, was pretty close. Let me find what Eric Carlson was. And when I'm saying average points per game, I'm talking about in the cupful format. So you could go and check out our rule settings. But he, so uh, what am I doing here? I would definitely rather wait around and get John than reach for Eric at the bottom of the first. Right. Eric was 5.1 and John was 5.2. So I know Eric, though, 
uh, like had that tough start to the season and he was pretty much like a different player after the first 15 or so games. So maybe the overall fantasy points per game isn't a fair measure. I'm sure if you just look at the, you know, the last part, but then Eric Carlson also, he's an actual injury prone guy just because he's been injured so much. So yeah, I agree. Let someone else take Eric as sad as it is to say, and then uh, get John if you can. All right. What do we got next here? Sebastian Ajo. You're going, I'm going con. Oh, that's a bummer. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Way to concede already. No, no, I'll, right. think, I'll think of something. All right, 29th overall here, Sebastian Ajo. What a great pick. He's an absolute superstar. He, he's actually good enough that someone actually gave him an offer sheet, which is pretty incredible. He's pretty much the entire Carolina team. He's pretty much came into his own this past season. He became a point-per-game player. I could even see that I'll maybe – probably put that as his floor at this point i could see him getting up into the 90s this next season as he grows and matures and they start to put the right pieces around him they're going to start building around him obviously and he's obviously always going to be on the top line top power play he shoots a ton 243 shots love to see that and only a 12 shot percentage so nothing too outrageous there pretty sustainable what do you think elon uh i mean i feel like I get everything you're saying, but like at the same time, if it's an early-ish pick in the draft, Sebastian Ajo was a point per game last year, but it was his third year in the league and it was first time being point per game. And like, that's what you'd expect from a young, like emerging superstar. But at the same time, it's not like a guarantee. Like he's not the type of guy that you've seen year in, year out be elite. Like you look at some players available, like Mark Shifley got uh, ranked next. He's a guy who's shown us year in, year out that he's going to be super consistent. So I feel like why take a risk on someone who like hopefully he'll repeat you say he maybe has upside for more but i think there's also the possibility that he could go down like maybe you know he had a bit of a overperformance, and we'll see you know like i I feel like nino niederreiter came in and then they were playing well together but who knows now the next year the lines might be completely different uh maybe like they start balancing the lines a bit more maybe giving svechnikov more time like on on a second line uh so i don't know i just feel like I, li- I like Aho a lot, but I also feel like maybe you want a more sure thing at this pick, someone who's done it a few more times. Like you could get Braden oh. Point also, right? You could get Panarin. Like there's a lot of guys who haven't been drafted yet. Do you really want Sebastian Aho here? Also, he's lost, I think, his winger eligibility, at least in uh, fan tracks. And I'm looking at Daub around. On a few places, I've seen him only center right now. So that definitely knocks him down a peg. Oh, to- totally disagree. This is like the most sure thing you can probably get at this point, at least in terms of superstars, especially. And just as an added little oomph on the end of this argument, w- wide open for team names with this guy on your team. Possibilities yeah, that, are that helps. Yeah, three letters makes you like be you could fit that into a lot of words for sure. Compelling arguments on both sides, especially Elon bringing up the center eligibility that may come up. Uh, but right now on Yahoo. Sebastian Ajo was on my Kukupful team. He was triple eligible, and that's that was amazing. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I mean, this is a really tough one to argue against for Elon. I got to give this one to Dave, though. Yeah, especially yeah, if he's going to be triple eligible again, then yeah, slam dunk here because I do agree with Dave. Now that the points already been conceded, that this is the kind of guy who like we're going to be talking about other players in Carolina. Like, who's the one playing with Ajo? And you always want to have that guy because you don't have to worry about if the line combinations change because he's the one who's stirring the drink, making things happen. It's like who's playing with Crosby. You know, you don't worry so much about you know lineups getting shifted. And I like that a lot. Though if, same with Shifley, who we're on next, right? So I might as well just go right wait, into wait, it. Wait, wait, I just want to say like if you're if this is like actually happen you're in a 14 team league and 29th pick first pick in the third round as your third third round pick sebastian ajo in a 14 team league like that's kind of crazy 
Yeah, uh, well, I guess if this draft held in a 14-team snake draft, you got Connor McDavid first overall, and then you grabbed John Carlson and Sebastian Ajo at the turn. That's good. That's pretty sweet, especially if uh, Ajo has that eligible position eligibility. You got your center, you got your top D, and you got a top winger right there. Three. Dave, are you looking at the list right now? Yeah. Who would you pick him ahead of in like the 20s, in the 15s? Are there a lot of them? Yeah, dig him in front of... uh... Carlson, Bergeron, Pedersen, Hedman. Um, it is kind of interesting that like yeah. Nico Rantanen <clears throat> went 11th and then Aho went 29th. When I yeah. feel like I'd rather have Aho just because yeah, I Rantanen like, and Drysaddle were some of the worst picks in this patron rankings. <laughs> I like Rantanen and Drysaddle. Uh, I don't even want to call them together because I think I like. I don't know. It's hard to even say who I like more. But yeah, both. I I always get concerned about the player not being like the main guy because if something shifts around, you could be a little concerned with Aho. Like I said, it's not going to happen. And I say same goes for the next guy, Mark Shifley. He's the number one center on Winnipeg, and who we, we don't even know who is the number two center on Winnipeg right now. Is it Roslovich or Roslovic? Uh, is it is Brian Little like signed? I don't even know what's the deal with him. But Brian Little has a terrible long-term contract. Okay, well, that's sad. But uh, yeah, definitely not someone who we have to worry about. So Shifley's going to be top line with like Wheeler and either Line or Kyle Connor. Like, you know, the best Winnipeg has to offer, that's going with Shifley. And also, obviously, all the power play time. And like, there's some things about Shifley that I feel like I used to not like that he's improved. Like, he used to be pretty crappy for shots. Like, when he first was coming up, like when he had that first big, like, uh, 61 points in 71 games and really took notice but he only had like 194 shots now this past game la- last season yeah, like 199 shots uh okay anyways what i mean to say is he's really rounded into like a valuable fantasy piece his shots are decent he's getting point per game the last three seasons he's been above point per game so that's what i was talking about compared to aho is like aho you know did it once shifley year in year out over a point per game. His shooting percentage has also been super high these past three years. So you might look at last season, be like 19.1 shooting percentage. I don't like that. He scored 38 goals. No way he's going to do that again with only 199 shots. But he had 18.4 and 20 in his previous two seasons. So he's a high efficiency shooter. He's going to get you the goals. He's going to get you consistent points, like game in, game out. So it's like super reliable. If you're getting him this late, like if we're looking at uh, this, like the next pick. So that means you got Kucherov and then... Uh, if you took Kucherov second overall, then you're getting Shifley as your next pick in the third round. And I feel like he's another guy that there's an argument to me that he could be like a whole lot higher. So I, I really like Mark Shifley. I do not like Mark Shifley here. Um, first and foremost, thanks for making uh, some points for me. Uh, yeah, he doesn't shoot. Um, he's a little bit more of a setup man. Only 199 shots last year, 125 before that, 160 before that, 194. Never ever hit the 200 shot mark not only that he shot 19.1 percent last year which is too high his career average is 15 percent uh which will so that no, will obviously 15.7 no. okay but who cares about his career like his last three seasons his average is 19.2 what you're gonna count like when he was like a teenager yes okay fine <laughs> lately he's been right at his career average Oh, anyways, before I was rudely interrupted, so he doesn't shoot that much. He shoots too high of a percentage. Um, yeah, he's going to be on the top line, top power play, but so is everyone going this high. Uh, and then not only that, he's just kind of like a ho-hum player. He's not really someone I get excited about or who I'm like glad to have on my team or who I'm going to tune in to watch play and things like that. 
I just don't like him this high. He's the center. Uh, as we mentioned many times, centers are going a little bit too high at this point. You can find them. We've already had a ton of centers go already. You can see how ample they are. So I just don't like this pick right here. You can find a lot better players. All right. So I think um, I think I agree with uh, 19% being really high for Mark Shifley. But one thing about Mark Shifley's spot that helps him maintain a really high shooting percentage is he's in that bumper spot on the Winnipeg power play. And he scores a ton of goals just from getting those Blake Wheeler little shovel passes right out in front of the net. He's going to score at a high percentage every year. I think Dave's best point, though, is the the low shot numbers make players much more susceptible to those low shooting percentage seasons. So if he has a season where he dips under 10% and that's, you know, any player can have that type of a season, any player can fall into a slump. Then you have a long season of nothingness if he's not scoring those goals on those shots. So I think I got to go with Dave on this one, the center eligibility factors in and the fact that those low low shot numbers uh, make him a little bit more susceptible to shooting slumps. You know, I'm going to start looking at this advanced stats tab on Dobra. I feel like I could have made some points because even though he had a high shooting percentage overall, he actually had his lowest five on five shooting percentage, only 8.75 last season. He was 9.23, 11.69 and 10.18 in the previous three seasons. So if anything, if he can maintain that power play shooting percentage, maybe he could even get that even strength shooting percentage up a little higher and all of a sudden you get even more points. Maybe you're going from an 85-point guy to like a 90-point guy. So I should have said it. It's too late. Dave, you got the point. And uh, I guess we could go on to the next guy. Uh, Braden Point. You got, there you go. No, I don't. Yeah, uh, I'm, pro, I'm pro. Oh, yeah. I was pro Shifley. Oh, yes, you're a pro point. Go for it. Yeah, so not only did I get the point, now I also get to argue the point on point. Mr. Point per game himself. Braden point 92 points in only 79 games last year uh he had a decent number of shots 191 uh and then he is just electric on that power play he's playing on the most offensive team in the league you always want to get your lightning where you can he's playing on some of the best lines in hockey with some of the most electric superstars like kucherov and stamkos love him just what's there not to like about brain point I mean, okay, first of all, last season, I had Braden Point on my Cupful team, and I loved him to pieces. He, like, helped me win that championship. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I actually won my championship that past season. And the thing, though, that I loved about him is I grabbed him in round 10. Then he ended up being, like, super amazing value, of course. Like, uh, the guy I picked right before him was Jeff Carter. I got sniped on Jeff Carter, so I had to settle for Braden Point. And obviously, next year, it's going to be... Jeff Carter might not even get drafted in leagues. And here we're seeing Braden Point at the start of round three. I just wonder if at the start of round three, it's a little high for someone who at the end of the day, yeah, he had that great one season. But before that, we've never seen it. It's a lot like my Aho arguments, except I feel like at least with Aho, he's like the number one guy in his team. Braden Point, you know, it's still going to be if he's playing with Kucherov. Sure, that's great. But things could shift around and you never know. So I feel like I, I'm not ready, just like my argument before, and even like what we were saying about Rantanen, like I'd rather grab someone who's done it before and is like their main guy. Like we've got next up coming uh, Artemi Panarin, who's also winger eligibility, Braden Point Center. I know we've been saying that a lot. We've even got guys later on, like your Dylan Larkins, Claude Giroux, where it's like they're the main guys, and also they've done it more than, well, I guess not uh, Dylan Larkin. He, we'll get to him later. He had that one big breakout also. So I feel like Braden Point, like if he does what he did last year, sure amazing value here except i feel like this guy's got a lower floor just because we don't know he's by the way shooting percentage last year 21.5 percent 
So that is a very high number. Definitely not sustainable. Unlike Mark Shifley, he had never done that before. And I'm looking at his advanced stats. His five-on-five shooting percentage was also his highest. So you should probably expect that to go down. This guy's not getting 92 points again. And I think that people who get him, you know, if you got him in the 10th round, you're loving him. I feel like if you get him at the top of the third round, you might... I don't think you're going to be like especially disappointed, but I think you might be looking back going like, oh, I could have probably had like a good winger or defenseman or someone more reliable as a center here. Uh, Well, just really quickly, um, you mentioned about the high shooting percentage. I'll kind of reiterate what Ben kind of said on last pick with Shifley in regards to that. He's on that key position in the power play where they just feed it to him right in the middle and he just snipes it in there every single time. It's great to watch. And also I love your tales of, uh, wonder talking about your snake draft so what i would give to be in a snake draft you're gonna learn what it's really like the draft in an auction draft here buddy uh, yeah uh we'll see how that goes <sighs> this one's really tough for me to say because i feel like Braden point elon makes the the key point uh truly no pun intended as a lover of great puns that is a terrible one and i feel bad making it um he really needs to he really needs to hit that 40 goal, like 30 high 30, 40 goal plateau to justify this draft total. But like to Dave's point, I don't know that, I don't know that I don't think he will. So I don't know. I kind of want to appeal to the, the good patrons in our live chat. What do y'all think? Help me break this tie because I really don't know where to go between Braden point. Yes or no. Uh, We got Lewis and Mattia in here. What do y'all think? Okay. So we got a dream team in the chat room. Dave says, and we've got Dave who says he'd go Dave. So I guess that's one vote for Dave. And he has a wrench too. So that's kind of worth two votes. Lewis doesn't have a wrench. Yeah. Oh, Lewis went, Lewis went with Dave. Oh no. Oh, and I just added, I just gave him a wrench. I should have taken that away. No, he didn't. What are you talking about? Dave, stop lying. He said said with Dave on those picks. I guess I'm about Aho and Shifley. Yeah, Dave, like, uh, don't go revisionist history on us. Okay. How about we argue? How how delayed are they? Are they getting this now? They're a little bit delayed, maybe like 10, 20 seconds. But uh, how about we just like go and talk about the next player and we'll get back our Braden point score later on. So next up, I get the pleasure of arguing in favor of hashtag Team Panarin, Artemi Panarin himself. Is there a more reliable player to pick here? Just like I said with Shifley, but probably even more. Panarin, like his contract, you know, says it all, right? Like he's seen as an elite player in the league. There's no way this guy isn't at least getting you 80 points. And who knows what the upside is playing with these like sharpshooters, like Capo Caco. We don't even know what's going to happen. We've got Jacob Truba there on the power play. I'm really excited about him. I know I probably just lost the point now because Ben doesn't like it when I hype up Jacob Truba too much for next year. But uh, honestly, just Panarin's been so consistently good ever since he came into the league. The big thing about him that people were concerned about after a couple of years was like, yeah, sure, the guy's getting like 70 points, but he's doing it playing with Patrick Kane. Let's see how this guy does without Patrick Kane. He's like, all right, I'll go to Columbus where I'm carrying this team or at least carrying the offense. And he goes up. He had 82 points his first year with Columbus, 87 points last year. Now he goes to New York where he's again going to be running the show. And he's like still young. He's only 27. He's going to keep on doing it. And I feel like he even has room to grow. Last season, like, as we all know, Columbus had that terrible power play. He only had 18 power play points. Artemi Panarin is going to be getting 60-plus percent of the power play time. I think for sure he's hitting, like, 25, at least 20 power play points. And I think the sky's the limit. So I feel like there's no – plus left wing eligibility. Like, left wing, I think, is probably the hardest position to find in a draft, like, especially for the forwards. So it's just everything about him makes me scream, like, what a brilliant pick in the third round. Lucky to get him here. 
I would be a little bit hesitant to take him here just because of new environments. You never know how that's going to go. Uh, new team, uh, the Rangers, obviously, uh, they are a team that doesn't score. Their forwards don't often score a whole lot of points. I think like it was only like two years ago where no one even like hit like 50 points or something like that. Uh, so you don't know what his line's going to shake out to be. Obviously, he'll probably get on the top power play, but it might take a while for it to kind of find its cohesion and get working, find out who works where and things like that. Uh, so while I'm not denying he's a great player, uh, and I'm sure he might finally find his footing eventually, but it might be too little too late once he finally does for him to kind of have the season-long impact that you might want at this position. Yeah, Rangers, where the forwards don't get any points. Aside from Mika Zibanejad putting up 74 last year, Kevin frickin' Hayes had 42 points in 51 games before he got traded and showed himself to be more what I think he's probably going to be, which is like around a 60-point guy. I feel like the Rangers... Uh, are a good place for forwards to get points. Uh, I disagree. If anything, I'd say... Your example for a second person was someone who scored 42 points. In 51? What do you... Okay, yeah. Dave, don't show yourself to be less intelligent than you are, okay? 42 points in 51 games before getting traded. He's not going to get 90 points in 51 games. 42 divided by 51 times 82. I'm putting this in right now. That's a 67-point pace, okay, buddy? So why don't you take that back? Still not great. It's not not great. (laughs) He's Kevin Hayes. I just feel like your point about the Rangers not being a place where people can get points should disqualify you right there. Goodbye. <laughs> um, Elon, I would definitely give you this point if you had mentioned Anthony D'Angelo instead of Jacob. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, Dave, I can't even, the thing with Dave's argument is that the, the Rangers really haven't had a forward as good as Artemi Panarin in 20 years, maybe a little more like uh, he's the best player they've had the the best skater they've had, I should say in a really long time. Um, I'm very excited to see what he's done. Elon made the point that he produces everywhere he's gone. And I think that it's a, like the Rangers were a decent power play without a superstar last year, adding Artemi Panarin and Capo Caco on each side of the uh, attack is probably going to make for some really uh, make for a, a, at least you would hope an upgrade if it takes them a little while to figure it out. I, I can't see why they couldn't be an average team. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to go with Elon on this one. Okay, thank you. Let's uh, let's go to Tarasenko. I'm glad I'm not arguing for Tarasenko because I argued a lot for him last summer. And he made me look like a real dink. <laughs> and not the, good, not the good kind of dink, like how I live my life, but uh, the loser kind of dink. I didn't know there was layers to dinkness. Well, like uh, it's a saying, right? Dual, dual income, no kids. That's the good kind of dink. But uh, oh, I didn't even know that was an, an ex, like an acronym. Yeah, when you want to brag to your friends with kids about how you're actually living a, a better life, you say I'm living the the dink life. I, I don't Sounds know. cool. That is, I would not be bragging about how I'm a dink. <laughs> we're reclaiming the word. While we're talking about dinks, uh, I'm just going to go quickly let people know that uh, Dave has won the point point uh, thanks to Lewis's vote. Big mistake. All right. Thanks, Lewis. All righty. Let's get onward with this dink escapade. Uh, but I'll tell you, he's not a dink. Uh, well, I don't know. I know he's not a dink in the acronym form because I know he just had a kid or whatever. He had a kid during the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Vladimir Tarasenko. Tank. Uh, he's one of my favorite players. He, when I talked before about how you don't really like Shifley because he's kind of boring. You don't want to tune in to watch him. I love tuning in to watch Tarasenko play. He's a great player. And 
yeah, what Elon will probably say is that he hasn't put up, he hasn't broken through to the point per game pace yet. But that doesn't mean he's not getting you tons of points. He's pretty much got a 70 point floor, I would say, at this point, 70 point floor pace. And you know he's going to be on the top line. You know he's going to be on the top power play. And you know he's going to get you shots. He's in the last four years, he hasn't gotten less than 275 shots in a game. And it's not like he's shooting some super high percentage. He's only shot 12% last year. His career average is 12.9. He's a great player. And at this, yeah, he's not worthy of maybe like a top 25 pick. But here at 33 overall, great value for someone you know you're going to be able to rely on and you know exactly what you're going to get out of them. You're not expecting someone over the moon to get you a point-per-game point per game pace like someone in the top two rounds. But as a third-rounder, great pick here. Yeah, okay. Like, I get what you're saying. You're saying he's like a solid guy, solid floor. Uh, he did kind of let people down at times during last season. Like, he had a really weird last season. I always have trouble deciding whether it's a good thing or a bad thing when the player is like super inconsistent. Because on one hand, I could say he only had seven points in 20 games in the second quarter. Over on Dauber here, you could see it, the season broken down into quarters. So he was really like frustrating people at that point. Then he did come on strong at the end of the season. So does that mean that like you should be like, oh, look, he even has the potential to be so great because look what he was able to do at the end of the year? Or are you like, man, this guy has the potential to be completely nothing and really tank me and i feel like oh that was actually no pun intended but like <laughs> i feel like still we're early enough in the draft that you've again you've got these reliable guys that you know are just going to get you points game in game out terracycle is just kind of like gives me this weird feeling it's almost like it just makes you feel a little icky and maybe it's hard to put into words like i don't know if you could just completely rely on him a hundred percent i feel like he's gonna have slow stretches those line mates also in st louis are always changing like so you don't really get a good sense of like he was playing with o'reilly and shen for a bit like he's playing with schwartz for a bit he had like pat maroon on his line at one point back at the start of the year when i was like pat maroon's gonna be the line mate of the mvp once again for the third like a bad thing they won the stanley cup Whatever they won the Stanley Cup, they also uh, weren't the most like offensively reliable team in fantasy during the season. Like Ryan O'Reilly was good, Tarasenko, like you said, was decent. So like I don't have anything really bad to say about him. Like he's like you said, he's good for shots. But you have other players. I feel like at this point, if I'm taking Tarasenko, I'd rather just take like a really reliable defenseman here, or give me a forward like one of the forwards left, like say. I don't know, like Jonathan Huberdeau or like uh, Dylan Larkin or Claude Giroux, one of these guys that has shown they can like get you above point per game with still a solid floor as opposed to someone like Tarasenko who, yeah, he has a decent floor, but he also, he's 27 years old. It's been forever. I don't think we're seeing him breaking out anytime soon. And last year I wouldn't have said that, but now I'm really starting to think. Also, like even in the playoffs, like what did Tarasenko do in the playoffs? Like he won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but uh, let me bring up those stats. I wish I had them in front of me. Oh yeah, I know how to get those. I need to bet really. I need to get back in the game before the season starts. Yeah, 17, he has seventeen points. Yeah, in twenty six games, it's a fifty four point pace in the playoffs. So again, like if you would have drafted him in your playoff pool, you were like happy that yeah, I got a guy that made it to the finals. Sure. So you probably just like won for having St. Louis players, but like overall, like that's not a very great point pace. And if he keeps that up next season, that's not what you'd want at all. I did draft Tarasenko, and I did win the playoff pool. Yeah, but that's because you were the only person to take St. Louis players. <laughs> Because I'm smart. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm happy to get Tarasenko here. Um, the the shot totals are always incredible. And he scores. Like, everyone talks about how this is such an off year for him. And he still scored in, like, at a 36, 37 goal pace. Um, I got to give this one to David. He's just too safe and too good at this point in the draft to keep letting him go. I think that at this point, 
point, he's really just falling because people were so frustrated with him in the first half of last season. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think that Dave is right. But I think uh, you missed a lot of good points. If I was arguing pro Tarasenko, first of all, I would have said he actually was like like what Ben was saying. People think it wasn't even the best season. Overall, 5.7 fantasy points per game puts him ahead of... of uh, Oh, no, actually, it does. I'm not even ranking by the right thing at this point. I'm ranking by current. How is it that Braden Point has more fantasy points per game but had a lower current rank on Yahoo? What is Yahoo doing? But anyway, uh, so yeah, still 5.7 was higher than a lot of guys. Like Sebastian Ajo, for example, was 5.6. Uh, Alex Barkov, oh, he was a little bit higher. Oh, so this ranking is terrible. But anyways, yeah, he's right amongst these like top guys that we've already drafted, even on a down year. So even if he just like does the same and is around a 70-point guy because of all those shots, you're right. Like He just becomes super valuable in this format. Yeah, um, like... If you're drafted, yeah, I can totally understand if you drafted him like top 25 last year and you'd be upset with him, but getting him this slow, it's hard to hard to be mad at it. Yeah. So if you didn't take him, am I arguing pro or con on Mark Stone? I guess I'm pro, right? You're pro, yes. So Mark, you're, you're pro on the evens, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. So Mark Stone, uh, he's been just so good lately, right? Like ever since he sort of had that breakout with the Sens a couple of years ago, his points have been going up and up. He had 53 points in 69 games back in 2016, 17. It was like, oh, this guy looks pretty good. Then last year we were like, or even a couple seasons ago, like, yeah, this Ottawa team's not that good. What's he going to be able to do? He dropped 62 points in 58 games. And then last year, again, was point per game on the Sens. Now he goes to Vegas where he's playing with better players. He's going to probably be centered by Stasny and have Pacioretty there. That's what we saw last time. He's almost for sure going to be on the top power play. Like they signed him to this big contract. They love him. They're happy to have him. Everyone's making fun of the Sens. How did you have Mark Stone and let him go? Just like all these other guys you let go. He's just a superstar. Seems to be like super reliable at this point, getting point per game for the past three seasons, pretty much. Well, okay, three seasons ago, it was like a 63-point pace. Last couple of years, point per game. And now he's in a great situation. So seems like a really solid pick here at number 20, 34. <laughs> Sorry. 20 34 who's, who's counting right uh really I, not don't, <laughs> I don't really like mark stone here for a couple of reasons firstly uh the one that i'm most concerned about honestly is the vegas power play and just how in flux it always is um you know they say if you've got uh two good power play units uh you really have no good power play units at least in terms of fantasy because then uh you're kind of you're not getting like as much power play time as you really should you're splitting time we kind of saw that in Toronto for a while before this past season where they finally kind of stuck with one um and then in regards to points um he's just never been able to get over that hump. I mean, the highest that he's ever had in a season was this past season when he had 73 points. Before that, 62, 54, 61. Dave, you're lying. He, you're lying to the listeners here. Don't say 62. Like, in 58 games, it's a, it's a big difference. It doesn't matter. He, he had 62 <laughs> points that season. Yeah. And then, okay, what about the season before? 54 and 71, 61 and 75. Okay, I'll say the game's played in those ones. And then in regards to uh, Vegas, he only had 11 points in 18 games in the regular season. That's a pretty bad pace, I do believe. And um, in regards to shooting, he doesn't shoot that much either. The highest he's ever had was his past season in 199, before that 132, before that 134. And 71 games. Are you kidding me? And just in general, he's not getting any younger. Uh, he's been around for a while. He kind of is what he is at this point. And you never know. He's pretty 
pretty certain that uh, who he's going to play with. I'm pretty sure it'll be on one of the top two lines, but they kind of mix around those people. He's not going to be on the best line in Vegas, which I believe is going to be the uh, Pacioretty, Stastny, and Tuck line. Uh, so I'd rather have someone else here at this point. I don't know. Tuck was on the third line once Stone arrived last year. I don't see why all of a sudden uh, they're going to go that way. But anyways, okay, let's let Ben give the score. Well, I'm going to give this one to Dave, but mostly it's because I, I feel like there's a, there is still a lot of opportunities to point out that Mark Stone did not have a chance to fit in in Vegas. Um, and once he like once the playoffs hit, he scored 12 points in that first round series. Uh, I think Mark Stone actually does look very good here, but I really appreciated uh, Dave's point about the power play deployment. Um, Vegas really hasn't shown us that they're willing to stick with one power play unit and roll with it. And that is kind of the fear with Mark Stone. Um, as far as points wise, as far as, Fantasy, I could see him paying off at this draft slot, but uh, Dave kind of convinced me talking about that stuff. Actually, you know what? Like, I actually don't really like Mark Stone here now that I've lost <laughs> the point. Uh, but I was surprised. I think the main point I would have made, and the main reason I might want to stay away, is his like point per game paces over these last three seasons have been, or I guess the last two seasons have been like on this Ottawa team where he was like the main guy. And I get a little bit concerned when you go from being the main guy to just another piece. We've seen that a little bit with like Mikhail Granlund. Obviously, like you know, we'll just need to see the rest of the season. But you know, Granlund seemed to really like disappear once he got to Nashville. Uh, like uh, Matt Duchesne kind of disappeared when he got to Columbus. Obviously that might have to do with just like fitting in on a new team. And so Mark Stone at least has had time to do that. But I just wonder if there's some players that, you know, they're going to be point per game when they're getting all the perfect deployment. And now Vegas is so deep that maybe they don't need to give Mark Stone like as many minutes or give him like all the best scoring chances. So that would be my concern. And his like 50 point pace during the regular season, is probably too low. Like I'm saying, this 50, 50 point pace once he got to Vegas, that playoff, uh, you know, points, I wouldn't really count that because that was against Martin Jones, I believe. And <laughs> every, everyone gets points against him. So let's not count that. But yeah, I, I see him more as like a 65-ish, maybe 70 point guy. I don't see him as a point per game guy in Vegas in this like stacked lineup where you have so many players who are going to be able to score goals for them. So yeah, good job, Dave. All right. I think I'm losing it up. Damn. You've been losing. Yeah, I've been losing a lot lately. Yeah, yeah dink. <laughs> well, maybe I can. <laughs> and I'm a fellow dink, Elon, so you'd think that we were on the on the same page here. Yeah, we should be high-fiving. We'll we'll go out and... Uh, you can get t-shirts what... saying that, how you're dinks. And... Our, our dink podcast is coming soon. Yeah, it's just about how we like go to the bar after work while everyone else has to go home to take care of the kids. That's yeah, our exactly. podcast. Hell yeah. All right, Dave, uh, what do you got for us? You're, you're arguing for no, you, Gabriel Landeskog. No, you are arguing... Or, oh, I am arguing for it. Yeah, I argued right. for Stone. Oh, this is excellent then. Yeah. Landeskog, I get him, what is this, uh, 35th overall. Pretty good spot for someone who is a point-per-game player. We just mentioned before how some of the players drafted just ahead of them have always had trouble getting over the hump. And here, after all those players have already went, you get point-per-game Landeskog, 75 points. In 73 games last year. And we talked a little bit before about how someone like Mark Stone doesn't shoot a lot. Not a problem with Landeskog. He shot 243 points or two, shot 243 times last year. 243 points. Wow, that would be a lot. Uh, but yeah, playing on the best line in hockey uh, up there 
with the Mac attack and the Rantanen. And obviously, he's going to be a stalwart on that top power play. Not a whole lot to worry about here. I think he'd probably have a floor of probably 70 points. And he probably has a ceiling of probably like a 90-point pace, something like that. Uh, Have at it, Mr. Dink. I just kind of feel like, Dave, obviously you're going to say all that stuff, basic stuff, nothing too interesting there. I feel like if you look at Landis Gogg's last season, obviously, yeah, tell me all his great numbers. He had 75 points in 73 games. He took all those shots. What about the whole rest of his freaking career? Like last year, he had an 84-point pace. His highest point pace before that was 65. Like, so, you know, that was like a huge jump. His shots, he hasn't had over 200 shots since uh, 2014-15. And then he did it this past season. So, yeah, obviously everything went amazingly last year. But I feel like when you're drafting, are you just going to assume that one year is the predictor of the future? Or are you going to give yourself a bigger sample size? So that's one point against Landis Gog. We haven't seen him do this. Like, yeah, he had that one good year. Let's see. You know, Trocek had that one good year a couple years ago. We saw what happened the year after that. Then you look at Colorado, maybe Landis Gog doesn't play on the best line in hockey. Like there were times it, I remember where people were freaking out because they decided to bump Landis Gog to the second line, to try to shake things up a little bit. And now I feel like Colorado has a much better opportunity to mix things around now that they've gotten like Burakovsky, Eunice Donskoy, uh, you know, Kadri, of course. So maybe they don't need to load up the top line. Maybe you go like Kadri, Landis Gog, Donskoy, and then give Burakovsky or someone like that a chance on the top line with McKinnon and ranton in so i feel like it's definitely not a guarantee that landis gog is sticking on the top line considering the fact that he did get bumped for a week or two last year add to the fact that he had this like insane career year that we've never seen him do before so i feel like it's just not as a sure thing as you're making it out to be by just telling us his stats from last year just real quick yeah like looking at the previous years yeah you can say that about people like martian before he started playing with like one of the best lines in hockey you can say it about like point before you started playing with like who drop and stuff like that point is only done in one year <laughs> exactly before so, that, it wasn't in the so yeah you can say it about point <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he was bumped off that line for like a week and then they're like well this isn't gonna work and so then, then they went back to the greatest line that they have and so i don't yeah, see any reason because that's because there was literally no chance for them to score a goal unless they just uh, loaded up that top line. I think this year will be different. I think this year they will be able to shake things around. What do you say, Ben? Elon's right about the panic uh, of losing Landis Gog's top line deployment. But the nice thing about this guy is that he's so well built with peripherals that even if you have a loss in deployment and like a little bit of a point downtick down to that 60 range that, that uh, Elon mentioned, He's still going to pay off in this range. I think that that panic is kind of built into this draft position. Uh, if he's on that top line for a full season, he's a top twenty player in this format. So I got to go with uh, got to go with the Dave on this one. Come on, okay, I All could right. get I could get you uh, agreeing that this is a good spot for Landeskog, but Dave's arguments were so basic. They were basic. BR. Your arguments were basic. You think? Dave was just like, oh, he had those, this many points last year. <laughs> he got this many shots. Didn't even uh, point out the fact that that was where his career highs by like a crap load. Like, if we were having this conversation a yeah, year ago, I'm, I'm not going to point out the fact that before that, <laughs> I'm arguing. If, if this was a year ago, we'd be like laughing at anyone taking Landis Gog this high. Now we have this one good year. I could see why you take him here, but I don't know. I think my argument- you're making a good point, Elon. I guess my struggle as a judge is whether or not I want to um, err on the side of like which argument is correct or which one is best, and trying to think of like which is more valuable for patrons to hear, Fair. like which of you guys is arguing. And I mean, you can you guys can let me know if you'd prefer that, but. <laughs> 
No, I prefer you've been, you do it you've the been way picking me, so I, I, yeah. I think you're doing it good. <laughs> you're probably on the right track trying to give the patrons your opinion of who actually is right or wrong in their arguments. So uh, I guess you can do that. But uh, I think I'm getting screwed here then with some of these picks I'm being You might happy. be having a little bit of bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now I get to argue for Dylan Larkin. Hopefully this will end the streak. This shouldn't be hard, right? This is another one of these Shifley type guys where it, he's the guy in Detroit. Any player that plays with Larkin is lucky to play with him. This guy is a stud. Last year, he really took that big step forward. And this isn't like a Landeskog thing where he was like nothing forever and then had a big year. And now he's, I'm, I'm joking also. Landeskog obviously wasn't nothing forever. Uh, and Landeskog also, for him, he's only 26. So it is possible that Landeskog is a player that's just coming into his own now and still has like a lot of time, like like a Marchand, you know, who took a little while to become an elite player. But okay, I'm talking about Larkin here. He, you know, had 63 points in 2017-18. And I remember we were all saying, I feel like this guy's primed for a breakout because Henrik Zetterberg was still getting like sort of the top deployment Larkin had only had like 45% of the power play time that year, and he still had a 63-point pace. And then last year, Larkin got it all, got the top deployment, got the top line mates, and then had a 79-point pace. And I don't see why it doesn't get even better next season. He's got Anthony Mantha with him, who's improving. We've got Tyler Bertuzzi, who's been great. Maybe Philip Zadina gets a shot. Finally, also, Philip Heronik might be a good defenseman that they could rely on to play on the top power play when Mike Green is injured, or maybe even when Mike Green is healthy, so you don't have to worry about like weird schmoes uh needing to them relying on these guys to move the puck forward on the power play like 22 years old it's like such a solid reliable pick and even if, if that's not enough how about 287 shots how about 80 hits over a hit per game so he's giving you that reliable floor with the peripherals plus he's the top guy in his team honestly it's like a steal here like how late in the draft are we that dylan larkin 36 i take dylan larkin over like a mark stone for sure and maybe even over some of these like super early guys like uh, yeah i think it's like a slam dunk pick here whoever got dylan larkin at 36 is laughing good luck dave (laughs) i don't necessarily like (laughs) larkin here just because i mean we talked about how the rangers were a team that forwards go to die holy crap look at detroit look at who he's playing with absolutely no one like he played so far over his head last year I don't and what did they do to improve their team really nothing they're still playing with a bunch of jobbers you like you I like how you were kind of naming the players that he might play with you're like hey Bertuzzi who knows uh Mantha hey anything could happen like that was kind of your argument for like the players that he's playing with um again he's a center and not really a great for position you can find them up and down the lineup we've said that forever and in regards to, I also didn't like last year. I did own him uh, down the stretch. It did help me win uh, the ultimate couple championship to claim the best fantasy hockey player in the world. Uh, but I, one thing that Detroit kind of did that I didn't really like was a couple different points in the season last year. They did this thing where like they would kind of put him on a power play with like a bunch of like like the B squad kind of thing to kind of improve that power play deployment and like the rest of the players like on their own power play which really grinded my gears and so i don't know just put your best players on your freaking top power play and don't think about the rest uh but yeah so i don't really think he's of that good value here uh you could do worse but you could also do better 
I'd like to see how you could do better. Also, one thing I want to mention about Larkin, with some of these other guys we talked about, that they're sort of, uh, if you break it down by quarter, it was really like wildly jumping all over the place. Larkin is like super consistent. He had like basically point per game in each quarter, 19 points in 20, quarter one, 22 and 24, then 20 and 18, and then 12 and 14. So it's just basically game in, game out. You're going to get a point from this guy. If he doesn't get a point in one game, he's giving you two the next to make up for it. Super reliable. I love him. Uh, by the way, let me just, since since I'm just blabbing too much anyways, I'll just do it a little longer and say that Larkin averaged 6.0 fantasy points per game in Kakuffle. I've actually got it ranked correctly this time. That puts him ahead of Goudreau, Barkov, Point, uh, Marner, Wheeler, Tarasenko, like all these guys that we've been talking about like a long time ago. Uh, Larkin was better than all of them in average fantasy points per game, and I only expect him to get better. I think that uh, we saw the emergence of Dylan Larkin as a superstar in the NHL last year. And uh, I, I Brian's not here, so I guess I'll play the part and welcome him to the 70 point club. And I think that uh, like, I think he'll return to that. And I think he has an upside for hire um, his career or over the last three years, he shot 9%. And that's because last year in 2018, he only shot 6.9 with only 16 goals that year. I think that he really represented a huge value in drafts last last year. And the the people who got him, they really cashed in. I think uh, Dylan Larkin here with those 287 shots. Are you kidding? Like, how are you not going to take him at this spot? I got to give the point to Elon. Man. Yeah. I'll can, I'll can see that. I love Dylan Larkin. That was all a farce. <laughs> all right, the, dr- the drought is over, but now this is going to be a hard one for me because I have to go. Con- I-, I believe I before brought up Claude Giroux as one of my examples of someone ahead <laughs> of someone else. Now I'm going to have to say why well, actually you shouldn't, and he's not even a good pick. Down wow! At wow. <laughs> all right, so you tell us why Giroux is good at 37, and then I'll try to come up with the reason why he's bad here. Yeah, like Elon was kind of making my point for me before. Claude Giroux at this slate in the draft. This is number. Um, for those playing along, 37th overall, great value here. 85 points in 82 games last year. Got back to his point per game ways. And unlike some of the other players that we were talking about before, he has done this before. He can do it again. And there's no reason that he's not to. He's someone who's put up a hundred point pace the season before that. And he has pretty consistently had a relative point per game pace throughout his career. He's always going to be on the top line top power play he's playing with great players in philadelphia they finally got a new coach they're finally going to have an actual good team uh i have a hard time figuring out where the con is in drew other than maybe just the fact that he's playing in philadelphia uh but other than that he's got center right wing eligibility he's not that old yet he's great what can go wrong I think I could come up with a couple points here. So first of all, last year, 85 points in 82 games is solid, but it's way down from what he did the season before. And then if you recall the couple seasons before that, he was on the other side. He was putting up 58, 70 point paces, not the point per game. So I don't know if he at 31 is going to be able to sustain this new thing or maybe if he falls back. But even if you say he stays where he was, I don't think anyone's making an argument that Giroux going to go back to being a 100-point player. But I could get behind you saying he, he could do this again, get you point per game. But that was only good to give him in our format 5.1 fantasy points per game. You could, uh, uh, you know, like other players who are still available that were higher than him are guys like Alex Dabrinkit, who I think is on his way up. You've got Joe Pavelski, who didn't even have like such an amazing year last year. 
but because of his like shots and peripherals, he was 5.3. And now next year he goes to Dallas where he's going to be on that amazing top power play. So I wonder if uh, Matthew Kachuk, I don't think we've mentioned him yet. Timo Meyer, all these guys were ahead of, Giroux last year and I feel like these guys are all going in one direction while Giroux is more likely staying in the same place or maybe even going down so I feel like there might be better picks than Giroux here and also Dave even though this is a point for you but I want Ben to be judging based on who made the better argument I think you left out the key point that Giroux now has winger eligibility because he used to not have I that, so. that out. I said he's center right wing oh damn okay yeah well, he hit that well, that's a bad point. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I should have said that at the end. I think I hurt my chances. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it, it's tough to argue against Claude Giroux here. Um, the 100-point season is helpful. Uh, it's tough to argue against a guy who put up 186 points over the last two years. But pointing out that he's 31 and had a downtick over last year is a fair enough argument. I think the fact that he you know, is still putting up high levels of shots – uh, the power play has remained consistent. Um, it's tough to argue against them. I got to go with uh, Dave on uh, pro Claudio. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Also, just like everything I was saying about all these guys that you could that did better than him last year. And while I said, yeah, they're probably on the way up, but also these guys probably yes. also have lower floors. Like Claude Giroux's top line main guy, and I've been saying that for other players, so I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here. I was just trying to swing. Uh, Here's a fun one. Now I'm arguing pro Patrick Line here at number 38. This was a 26 spot fall. So that means last year when we did our rankings, he was down at 12 and now he went to 38. Damn, well, makes sense, right? We were so into him because he had been coming off a 44-goal, 26-assist, 70-point season as a 20-year-old. We assumed as a 21-year-old he could at least do that, if not even build on it, because his ice time was pretty low. He only had 16 minutes of ice time. Then last year, his ice time went up a little bit, but everything fell apart. He had that great week. And anyways, I don't know why I'm not even making any arguments right now. I don't know why I'm just giving this like Patrick Line summary. The thing is, all that hype, doesn't just disappear he's not he hasn't turned into a bad player like maybe something went wrong last year but now he's got all summer to kind of like look into things like figure it out see what he did wrong talk with coaches and like whatever he needs to do i'm assuming that he is working on it maybe he'll sign like a one-year bridge deal and it'll be like a real prove it year since he's at rfa right now and then i could see him next year just doing everything he can to get back to what he was and like we've been talking about line a forever as maybe even like more valuable in fantasy than austin matthews just because of all of his shots and his goals and his great shooting percentage and it kind of fell apart last year but now we're talking the third round like late third round here uh 38th overall like why not take a swing on a guy who could be 50. Brian and I were predicting for 50 goals and he's the same player. This guy could be on the top line. Like usually on the top, he was on the top power play still the majority of last season, even though he was slumping, he was still getting that great deployment. So I feel like it's a, it's a really fun swing here. I understand that Dave's going to say there's a downside potential, but the upside is so high. And when you're playing fantasy, sometimes you got to play to win, right? Not to play, not to lose. And this is like a draft pick that you could end up like you win your pool. You got in your third or fourth round, Patrick Line, he turned out to be your leading goal scorer. And in a format like ours that counts goals more than anything else, like how can you not? Yeah, you said why not? Uh, yeah, pretty apparent why not. You made some of my points for me. He is, you're drafting him here at this position in the third round um, as assuming that he's going to get back on track. And will he? No. I mean, and it's also just bad draft strategy, really bad draft strategy in general to be 
drafting someone in the third round that only got 50 points and you're like, oh, who get better probably? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe if he had had like maybe if he was like 28 and he had been relatively consistent throughout his year and then he had that kind of year, I could see that. But not after someone only had one good year and then in the second year he had a hey, bad he had a- year. He had a 72-point pace in his rookie season, 64 points in 73 games. He had two good years, and he had a whole minor league career where he was blowing up every single league he played in, which is why he got drafted second. Oh, round. yeah. Let's, yeah, let's see how he did in his uh, grade school years. Let's uh, get, <laughs> get, those, get those stats up. I bet you Daniel Negreanu has those. <laughs> But yeah, it's just a really bad idea to draft him here. I mean, he had 30 goals last year, which isn't, which is pretty freaking good. 30 goal score. And he still only had 50 points. Like he's someone who is going to have to score a ridiculous amount of goals in order to be fantasy relevant for you. And so he's going to have to put up at least 40 goals and which is an incredible accomplishment. And that's assuming he doesn't get pushed off where he is in the power play. That's assuming he's not going to get pushed off in one of those top lines in Winnipeg. And so there's just too much that's going to have to go right here. Uh, way too high to be someone drafting on a lottery ticket here, uh, maybe in like the late fourth round or something like that. I might, if, if I already have like a pretty decent team that I'm pretty confident in, uh, I might take a shot in at that point, but not at this point. Way too high. Mm, good points. You know that? I like. The, can I sorry. say one quick thing? Yeah, of course. Just the days like pointing out how he had 30 goals but only 20 assists. Sometimes when a player doesn't have as many assists, it might just be because it was bad luck in terms of shooting luck of the players he was playing with. Unfortunately, this Dauber That's site doesn't ridiculous. have ridiculous. No, it's not. It's just like bad. You could, so you're saying he doesn't have assists because of bad luck of who he's passing yeah, to? Yeah, like. It, Previous season, Come he on. had more assists. It, That's it the could, point of a five-on-five shooting percentage. Yeah, sometimes he, I, I don't have that number in front of me right now, unfortunately, but I'll bet it's, you he had a It's low the lowest of his career, for sure, and his IPP is incredibly low, too. So I, I do think that that is a fair point. Okay, so I'm good for you to uh, give your judgment, Ben. I can see this going either way. Um, yeah, no, you guys both made one incredibly salient point. Uh, I thought both of you made the most salient points on each of your sides on Elon's side, especially goals are just so valuable in this format. If you get a good goal score later on, like beyond the first or second round, that's just so much value for your team on a week to week basis. The downside of line A is really there though. Like if he does put up third, if he repeats what he did last year, you're you're kind of screwed uh, taking him this early on. So I definitely feel both of those arguments. To me, though, what it comes down to is everyone is going on and on, doom and gloom, bad season. He still scored 30 goals, and he's 21, 22 years old. I think the upside is there. He had a really low shooting percentage. The five-on-five shooting percentage was very low. His IPP was very low. I think the upside – I think I'm betting on a bounce back for Patrick Laine, and i got to go with Elon on the pro side here. Oh, You know that in – uh, at the end of the season, he basically took 100 shots over the last couple quarters and six goals. So he had a 6% shooting percentage. So if you look at his overall shooting percentage on the season, it's 12.12, or sorry, 12.2, which is already like low for his career, his short career. But he like just nothing was going in for him. So obviously, also, I'm, I don't want to take away any blame. Like he definitely struggled himself, but he was having some bad shooting luck for sure. So. Yeah, that that could mean something. He's also definitely not going to be taken off the the top power play. Like that's exactly where his value is, and he still was 
fine on the power play. He's not losing that spot. To me, I want Line A to sign a one-year contract, and to me, that makes me more into him. I know, like, maybe Brian would disagree, but I feel like this contract year thing, especially for a young player like this, this guy's not going to be staying up late playing Fortnite if he's in a contract year after signing a bridge deal, right? So uh, I hope that's what happens as opposed to Winnipeg shelling out big money and signing him to a long-year deal just for his fantasy value next year. Uh, all right, so what do we got next here? Freddie Anderson, 39. I'm arguing the pro. No, I argued the pro on line A. Okay, I guess Dave is arguing the pro on Freddie Anderson at 39, which makes him, is that just the second goalie? I think we had Vasilevsky at 19. That's it, now, yeah, second goalie. Freddie Anderson here at 39. Yeah, so like, like you mentioned, yeah, only the second goalie so far in our patron rankings that you're getting way down here 39th overall a pretty great pick if you ask me um it was pretty evident last year that goalies were incredibly valuable in the top end of them like i kind of made a bunch of arguments that there was maybe like uh, only about 15 goalies worth owning which kind of makes their value above replacement that much better so i'm definitely going to be really interested to see if goalies really do go this slow in the draft because I feel like the top end goalies are going to be really valuable if they do slip like this because it was really important to be able to just have someone that you can plug in there. They're going to play three times a week, especially like a workhorse like Anderson. Look at his game started this past year. He started 60 games this last year, 66 each of the last two seasons before that. The dude is just an animal. You know he's going to get out there. His save percentage also incredibly consistent, 917, 918, 918, 919, 914, 923. You get the point. He's incredibly consistent. He's on one of the best teams in hockey. He's going to get you a crap ton of wins. Every time he goes out there, he's going to get you probably at least like six points as like a floor for you. And it's just easy pick right here. You just plug him in there. You don't worry about it. He's going to be fine. He's going to get you points every time he plays. Um, and it's going to be pretty rare that you're going to be upset that you took him at this point. Okay, so all good points for sure. I'm going to go with a two-pronged defense here. My two reasons why I think maybe it's not the right pick. First of all, with goalies, I feel like I'm playing chicken a bit in these things. Like, I don't want to use a higher pick than I need to to get a solid starting goalie, and I feel like there's a few of them. I feel like there's at least 14 of them. Maybe there's not more than that, but there's at least like 14 good, reliable, and you know, everything's relative, right? But at least 14 goalies that we expect to be reliable starting goalies. So why should I use a high pick to get Freddie Anderson? Let someone else get Anderson. I'll wait uh, a few rounds, and then I'll just grab another goalie who could easily be as good. And my second point I'm going to make, I'm going to pick, pick a specific player and tell you that I feel like Anderson isn't the next best goalie to own. And I know a lot of people would say maybe Bobrovsky is someone more reliable, maybe like a Connor Hellebuck if you think he's going to bounce back. But you know what? There's a goalie who has been falling super low in the slow draft we did and like in general rankings that I see that had more fantasy points in the couple than Frederick Anderson did last season. And his name is Carey Price. Everyone's forgotten about this guy. Like, it, it, that's like the perfect example of why, why am I using a high pick on a goalie here when I could probably wait like two is carry price is ranked at this point, right? Is he, is he not no, even ranked? Not even like, ranked. Come on. Just why, why waste a pick? I, you could take who went after Freddie Anderson, uh, after Anderson, we've got, uh, falling a little low here. Okay. Anderson, then Huberdo, Giordano, Kessel, Debrink. Yes, we've got big sc- – so as far as forwards, you got these, like, great, reliable scorers, or you could just, like, kind of waste a pick. It's not like a waste, but you're sort of, like, you're using up a pick on Anderson when, like, three rounds later, you could get Carey Price, who's probably going to get the same number of points, you know. So it's like uh, – I just don't see it as that 
useful of a pick here. It's like a solid like defensive pick, like you said, like you've got your goalie that you can rely on. But I'd rather, you know, roll the dice, wait it out. Uh, oh, here I'll just for fun, like I'll point out in that slow draft that I'm doing with some with some people that Ben's in also. Uh, like I waited a little bit on goalies, and I ended up still getting two solid starters. I got Hellebuck and I got Binnington. And I still was able to get a lot of top end people at the, you know, in the first few rounds of the draft. I think I waited to like round six or, or something before I took a goalie. And I'm just happy with that. Like I didn't need to go in third round and take Frederick Anderson. That carry price fact is insane. I just have to say, like I was just clicking around in the Yahoo as you were saying that Elon. And when I pulled it up, I, I didn't believe it was true. Um, I can't believe he was the second ranked goalie. Uh, yeah, at, well, he played the most. He played sixty six games. Is that the most? Actually, let me rank by games. Dubnik played sixty seven, and then Carey Price played sixty six. So it's a guy that like, I think of Price as like sort of a, a risky guy because he's injury prone. He's missed so yeah. much time lately. But last season, he really turned it around. And like Montreal definitely doesn't have. Didn't they sign uh, Keith Kincaid? Is Kincaid really going to be the backup next year, or maybe like Charlie Lindgren? Like if if Montreal wants to have a shot at the playoffs. I think Price is playing another 65, 66 games. Bring back Niemi, in my opinion. No. <laughs> Might as well sign Eddie Lack if you're going to do that. Um, did Dave mention the consistency of Freddie Anderson? Did I miss that? Yeah, about how much he starts, yeah. That was like his whole argument was just he's a reliable guy. You plug him in. You don't have to worry about it. So to me, though, the most important argument about Freddie Anderson is he's the only cupful goalie who, with our stats, has been top five the past three seasons. So... As much as I, as much as I think, hmm, this is tough for me because I feel like Dave missed the the, the most important argument for him at this spot, which is that you want a goalie that that you can count on actually being good when you're going to draft a goalie this high. And I think that just in general, I'm so goalie skeptical. I got to go with Elon on this one, uh, just based purely on the fact that I'm I'm just not drafting a goalie in the first fifty picks. It's just not happening for me. I, I can't be upset with you there. Yeah, I, I totally would not take a goal. I might not even just draft a goalie. I won the couple without like any goalies. So yeah. in a slow draft where the total points, you know, is what matters and you can't make ad drops. I'm maybe more okay with taking like a Frederick Anderson here, especially if it's like a 14 team draft. And let's say you're like first or 14th and you might have to wait like 20 something picks before your next pick. And like all the goalies could be gone. There's like a very good reason to just say you have to grab Anderson. I'd rather get like the fifth, the next, you know, carry price, but he might be gone too. Like everyone might be gone. So I can understand it, but especially in like a league, like the cupful, I don't know. I'm going to try it next year. I mean, obviously, we'll see. We're going to be drafting in the same league. Uh, so I guess I don't want to give too much strategy here. But I think you could tell that I'm probably not going to be going for an elite goalie. And I do kind of like this idea that's been floated around on a couple podcasts. Like, maybe grab, like, a tandem or two and just hope that, like, really late. And then hope that it just sorts itself out and one of them becomes a starter and I drop the other one. I kind of like that even. And you might end up getting someone just as bad. Like, Darcy Camper last year was just insane. Got him as a free agent. So, but yeah, I, I feel yeah. like I've made this a million times in my life. There are draft dynamics that will make me change my opinion and make me kind of reach a little bit higher for a goalie than I would normally want to. But in this case, when we're ranking players based on their value, it's just really tough to put a goalie, like a singular goalie in a at, at a premium spot. Mm-hmm. But it is a good point. Like of the goalies, if you want someone that you could for sure rely on to be awesome or at least very good, like top five, like you said, 
maybe Frederick Anderson is your best bet there because every single other name that you could throw out there, there's like little concerns I could I could think of. Like Bobrovsky, I feel like he's getting a bit older. And also he did have that bad year a little while back. And also he's on Florida where the defense might be shaky. You've got like Vasilevsky who kind of struggled in the fantasy playoffs last year. Like he wasn't good all year. Like I feel like every goal you could think of something. Anderson seems like the guy that's the most like just he's going to be decent. Like it's going to be more than decent. He's going to be really good. I think it's going to be interesting to see like how much they go for in an auction format. Um, I think because in a snake draft, I think it'll just be dependent on, you know, one person's going to grab them and then there's going to be a run. You know, yeah. but in an auction format, it's going to be interesting to see how much pe- people are willing to spend and for who. Because I, I especially feel like all the people that are coming up from the lower tiers into tier one, uh, they they probably won their league based on having like a workhorse like that. And so they might be more inclined to spend a little bit more on that. But I know in tier one last year, there was like st- starters that were just on the waiver wire. <laughs> like no yeah, one wanted crazy. one Yeah. I remember Brian was like asking me, you know, like I, I had access to his team. He was sometimes asking like, what, is that, what do I think he should do or whatever? And I see all these great goalies and I'd compare it to my division where all the goalies were taken. And yeah. I was like at one point riding like a ton of goalies. I was like really p- playing fast and loose with goalies. But then by the end, like it was super valuable to have. But I got lucky, right? Like I happened to have Kemper and Matt Murray who really caught fire right at the end and took me to my championship. Uh, but it doesn't happen for everyone. And you you proved that you could even go far without taking a goalie. But yeah, it was so weird how tier one and the other tiers had such different free agent pools for goalies. But and, yeah. And I do have to credit uh, Jeff Good, uh, obviously friend of the podcast, because he was the one that, like I talked about doing it. He's the one that actually did it and did it all year long. And uh, he, he didn't make it to the semis. And so he just had a bad week. Uh, unfortunately, I think when he uh, had his semi matchup, but then, yeah, he did it all year long, just rocked no goalies. It was, and it was incredible to watch. He really kind of dominated throughout the season doing that too. Yeah, is Jeff Good still in Tier 1 next year? Yeah, he made the semis, yeah. Nice. Okay, I've never played in a league with him. I love that guy. Jeff, I haven't seen him around lately. He's still, I hope he's still around. I hope he's coming back. Uh, he's always Jeff, busy, you know. Jeff, if you listen to this, message me. Say, uh, I'd love to uh, have a quick chat. But uh, okay, <laughs> we're definitely not making the same pace that we did the last time because it's already been almost an hour and a half. Or I guess it's been like an hour and ten minutes or so, uh, and we've we got like eleven more. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, so let's more. maybe let's let's go maybe go uh, lightning round a little bit for these next few, but not at the ex- not at the expense of. It's uh, just tough because these are more debatable. Like up top, it's super. Yeah, stuff. you really yeah. have to say. Okay, I'm good to go for another little while. So let's just go. Okay, uh, John and Hubert. Guys want though. Yeah. Okay. You, whoever quits first, this is like a game of chicken. Who uh, you know, whoever <laughs> whoever bails first, the podcast ends then. Uh, okay. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau at number 40. Like, I don't know too often when you could go at number 40, like third, maybe even fourth round if you're playing in a 12-team league and then grab a player who had 92 points the previous year. I, that doesn't happen too often. I understand why people might say you, probably Huberdeau's not getting 92 again, but that's why he's already fallen to pick 40. At this point, come, like, come on. Like, how far are you supposed to let this guy fall? He had this amazing season. He was amongst the top in points per game in our format. He had 5.8 ahead of like Marner. Like Mar- where did Marner go? Marner was like in the top 10, right? I feel like, or, or no, he was a uh, 17, but like, you know, like so much earlier, Marner, Wheeler, Tarasenko, Ajo, Shifley, like all these, even Evgeny Malkin, who's like super injury prone and only center eligible. Like Huberto destroyed him in average points per game. And it, it just like, it was such a great season. And I don't see a reason why, like, I think the reason why he wasn't as good the previous year in 2017, 18 is he got split away from Barkov 
at the end of the year. If you remember, it was like Bjugstad, Dadanov, Barkov on the top line. And then Hubert Doe was on the second line with Trocek. And I even forget like who else they p- paired him with then. Now this year, like first of all, even if he does go to the second line this year, it's going to be with like Trocek and Hoffman. It's going to be like two great players. Huberto got like a ton of power play time. He We were worried going into the year that maybe he's a guy who could get bumped from the top power play, but it didn't really happen. He had 64%. I feel like he's going to be on the top line with Barkov on the top power play. This guy has the upside to, you know, maybe not do exactly this again. I know Brian said that maybe he could see him going down a bit, but like to what, like 85 points. That's still like such a steal in the fourth round. And what's the floor? Like even the the 2017-18, when, you know, he disappointed a little bit at the end, he still ended the year with 69 points. So I just feel like it's like such a solid pick. And as a left wing eligible guy, like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to hear your argument to not take Huberto. Like, who are you taking instead? You kind of made a couple of points for me. Yeah, uh, he only did it uh, the one time. It was last year. Uh, before that, he went uh, 69 points. Uh, then he had an injury season, uh, 59 points, 54 points, 28 points uh, as a youngster. And so he doesn't have a track record of doing this. And as you mentioned, that is why he's going this slow. Uh, and But once again, kind of like with uh, my argument against line A, you don't want to assume that he's going to be able to do this good again. Uh, Unless it's Braden Point and you're arguing for him, then you say that he for sure will. <laughs> he's, he's a young player playing on the best team in the league with the best players in the league. But anyways, uh, so Huberto. Uh, and you also mentioned that there's a possibility he's a little bit line dependent. Uh, whenever he's playing with uh, Barkov and that and off uh yeah he's great but uh there's also the possibility that hoffman can shift up there if maybe they have a little bit of a stalwart and if he falls down to the second line yeah he's not gonna be playing with hoffman and trocek it would just be trocek um and so i'd be a little bit hesitant i'm not arguing against the quality of player that huberto is i am just arguing against this draft position i'd rather get someone who's a little bit more of like a sure thing either like a goalie uh, like Brady Anderson or a top level. Anderson's top not available guy. here. I know. I'm just saying like someone, a top flight goalie or top flight defenseman, someone who's a little bit more of a sure thing and start kind of rounding out your roster rather than a risk like Huberto here. Uh, I'd be more inclined to go with him maybe in like the, the fifth round, something like that. I think he'd be better value, uh, but not at this high when you're still surrounding with much better options. I feel like Dave, you just hurt yourself right now because you were scrambling. You couldn't even name one player that's actually available that you would have taken ahead of, of Hubert Doe here. So I feel like a point Elon. I, was just, I said two players that are like around him, like, like Anderson or like Giordano, something like that. <laughs> okay. I think it's pretty tough to argue against Hubert Doe in this spot. Um, specifically because his numbers, his percentages were really good last year. If there is one argument against him, I think it's that 34 power play points is pretty, pretty, uh, maybe unlikely to repeat. But I I think I got to go with Elon on uh, Hubert O at, what is it, 40? And pretty good. Yeah, I can't be mad at that. I was I was reaching there. <laughs> I'll admit, though, like, I have those concerns about Hubert O, right? Like, I feel like if he was drafted at 40 last year, he was a steal. This year, this seems about right, actually. I think, like, he's fallen enough. I think the Patriots have been smart, and they've let him fall enough to account for the risks. And I think it's, like, a decent spot for him here. Maybe there's, like, a couple names you could throw out there. Like, you know that we're not even going to talk about Jamie Benn today, who was all the way at 51. He used to be, like, a top tenner, or, you know, like, a couple years ago. So, uh, you I know, there are... Huberto. Yeah, I would take Huberto over Ben, but uh, you could also maybe wait on a left wing. I just remember like it used to be always like if you want left wing, Ben was so great because there's so few of them. 
Uh, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. I don't know. So a few bands. All right. So uh, let's do uh, Mark Giordano. I guess Dave's arguing pro. Yes, I am pro Giordano. I love that I finally get to argue someone that I actually believe in. <laughs> he was on my team last year. I went heavy flames, uh, and he paid off in spades for me. It was absolutely incredible. 74 points in 78 games. Can you believe that? Even better than players who went well before him, like Carlson and things of that sort. He had tremendous shots, 221, and he gets a ton of blocks for you as well every year. 144 last year, 161, 184, 193. He just is all about the perifs. He's playing on a great team that's getting better. He's the unquestioned power play quarterback for the Flames, and that power play is outstanding. Uh, The only kind of knock that I could see against him would maybe be his age, but he didn't show any signs of slowing down last year. Uh, I think he's good to go for at least another five years. So I won't worry about that quite yet, maybe in like two or three years. But for now, at this point, he's a great pick. This is actually a great spot at this point, not in the 20s, but in the early 40s to start gunning for the elite defenders. And I think it's a great pick here. I think it's funny how you were like talking about how great his blocks are and you went 144, 161, 184, 190, climbing. It makes it sound like he's getting better and better. That was reverse order, right? Like that's four seasons ago. He was 193, then 184, then 161. This past season, 144. He's going down in blocks. Who knows where he'll be? 120 next year. So I feel like that was a point for me right there. And also I'm going to give you that same question that I asked about who was it? Like some oldie that had oh bergeron right like i was like you got 35 year old and or uh yeah giordano's 35 years old and he just had the biggest year of his career like by an insane amount his previous two seasons before this past season he had 39 and 38 points somehow he like almost doubles that and at 74 just such a miracle season but like he's never even come anywhere close to that ever. And he, in his age 35 year, this is like a Disney movie. I think it was like, you ever seen angels in the outfield? I feel like there were like some angels or something around Mark Giordano taking this like guy who's never been anything like this. And then all of a sudden turned him into a superstar. Maybe he was roiding. I don't know, but I'm not going to expect it to to happen again. (laughs) Dave's doing the angel wave right now. Uh, Yeah. Like, I mean, his blocks are going down. He like obviously had this amazing season, but I think there's other defensemen who have shown themselves to be a little bit more consistent that you might want to pick here that you could just be more confident in actually being able to repeat what they've done over the last couple of years as opposed to Giordano. Like, who is the real Giordano, right? I'm old enough to remember when Dave told me that John Carlson was uh, going to get injured because he got so many blocks in the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean... I, I can't disagree with Dave on this one, though. Like, Mark Giordano, I'm in flames country, first of all. But uh, Mark Ooh. Giordano had such an incredible year. Um, the peripherals give him a super safe floor. I do worry a little bit about injuries. I'm not going to be – I'm not going to lie. Like, at that age, I, I definitely don't agree with Dave's argument that he has five more years to go. But uh, I am fine taking him at this spot with a little bit of uh, – a little bit of safety built into that draft pick. You're not taking him um, up with the Carlsons. You, you you got a little bit of a safety floor, and I like him here. I I go Dave. Yeah. yeah, I would too. Not for Dave's points. Dave made a really stupid point with those blocks. But yeah, <laughs> what that he gets a lot of blocks. No, the way you like talked about it as if like he's going up when really he's going down. <laughs> that was called strategy. Yeah, I know, no, it was good. Like obviously here it's a good pick for Giordano. He's like in the forties. Like fine, like you could say he won't get seventy four points again. Like if he gets sixty, that's still a great pick here. So you know, he could... how how great was he last year? Like he just dominated. And also, there's no competition. Like Noah Hannafin 
Yeah. Looking a little bit like a bust at his pick. Like, good for Carolina, though, to get Hamilton out of him. So it's not their bust anymore. Well, and a a good point that I didn't think about until just now is, like, I think it was, like, two years ago, they actually were putting, like, Brody on the top power play. Yeah. And then then they finally stuck with Giordano through and through, and he just exploded. Yeah. And like, with Adam Fox, right? Like, I remember Cam, I think, on the, I think, I, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I feel like there was someone on the podcast talking about Adam Fox maybe being the, the replacement there. And obviously, he's now long gone. So I don't know that there is that obvious replacement for Giordano in the system. Yeah. I, I definitely think Giordano is going to be on the top power play. The main concern is probably just his age. I think like, I, like maybe he'll get injured, but he's been pretty durable these last like four seasons. Though before that, he was getting hurt every single year. So I wouldn't be surprised. Like he's definitely not someone I'm like not drafting because of injury. But you know, if, if I already had like a couple, if I already drafted like the Bergeron and Malkin, say like then I'd be maybe a little bit concerned about going Giordano because maybe you're playing with fire a little bit. Oh, and you got you got to love that flame schedule, baby. Love it. A lot of off days, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's all. Or if great. you had like another defenseman already, I feel like if I had a Burns or a Carlson, I'd probably let. Giordano go just because I do think that that downside is there like with the age uh, fall mm-hmm. off and it, he very recently was a 35 point player so but again like Dave said he was a 35 point player when he wasn't getting the top power play time so he was 50 he had 57 percent of the power play time and he put up 38 points in 2018 oh, yeah huh? which good isn't point. bad 40 is kind of like a floor for like a good defenseman how did he go from he had 10 yeah. power play points in 2017-18 and then he had 21 last year so. The flames were good all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, and I expect them to be good again, right? Even though uh, James Neal wasn't. Th- what do people ta- say about James Neal over in Flames country? Everyone hates James Neal in Flames country. What a bad signing. Yeah. It's we, we, need, we need to have a uh, patron meetup in Calgary, go to a game. I've been trying to say the same thing. The Saddle Dome is amazing. It's so old, and we need to get there before it. Uh, they choose to tear it down because it feels like a relic from another time. If you give me a month's notice, I could probably get there. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, what do we got next here? Phil Kessel of 42. Oh, good this luck. Is, I mean, okay, first of all, this was back when he was on Pittsburgh that he was ranked here. But now, obviously, we're arguing him as an Arizona Coyote. I think – I understand. I know everything what Dave's going to say is going to say, oh, Arizona doesn't score goals. This Kessel's definitely not going to play on as good of a power play. But let's not forget that he's freaking Phil Kessel. And back when the Toronto Maple Leafs were a garbage team that had nobody around him, he was still putting up like 80 points in 82 games. And they had like 52 points in 48 games in the lockout year. Like Kessel's just been so consistently good year in, year out. And also, I still contend, like I'm not lying here to try to get points, like uh, to get Ben to like me. I, I think that Arizona... Is I know I said this every year, but I really do think that Arizona is going to be better at scoring goals next year. Like I think Schmaltz being injured hurt them. Like now they've got Schmaltz back. They're going to have Kessel. I think Clayton Keller is really going to be primed to have that breakout season. So I could see that being like a really good line, and I could see that top power play being pretty strong with those three thrown like step in. Then you got OEL in the back. Like I think that this could be the year. I think Phil Kessel really is that much of a game breaker that he could help turn things around. I don't think he's going to maybe be a point per game again, but I'd be happy to look at him as like a 70 point guy. I think that I think he's going to like, you know, break the record for most points by an Arizona player in a long long time in his year. So I understand that maybe there's still other players ahead that you say are similar 70 point guys. 
but I do think Kessel's like a nice floor pick here. You know, again, like some of these guys we talked about earlier, we're not worrying about his line mates. Like he's going to get the best line mates. He's going to be on the top power play. He's going to get all the time that he needs. He's, he's succeeded with Rick Tockett. So I, I wouldn't be too down on Phil Kessel. Like I wouldn't mind getting him around here. I love when Elon makes my points for me. Uh, and so I mentioned before about how new new team, obviously, question marks. And I know when he was picked here, he was a penguin. And that was a much better situation than the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> and so if he's this low on the Penguins on that top power play, which was his absolute moneymaker, he got the majority of his points in how it was that valuable because he was on that electric Pittsburgh Penguins power play. And now he's going to a place where he's on a power play that doesn't even know who's going to be on it. And you said you don't have to care about whose line mates are. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you do. Uh, We don't even know who it's going to be. We don't know. Phil's kind of the person that might just shut down if he doesn't like who he's playing with and something like that. He'll whine and cry until he finally gets to, who he wants to play with, which it might not matter. He's not going to be good anyways. So we don't know who he's going to be playing with. We don't know if he's even going to be good, let alone 70 points. 70 points is a ceiling, I think, at this point, which is a terrible uh, amount of points for a ceiling at this point, especially when you look and see who's coming up on the next pick. Uh, So I am, I, I wouldn't draft him until like the 60s, probably at least, let alone top 40s. He is not a great pick here. And uh, th- yeah, this is obviously a bad pick just because you're assuming that he was going to get that them Pittsburgh Penguin power play points. Now he's not. Uh, so if you pick him here, you are what we call a clown. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. He also didn't, you know, he didn't have great even strength line mates, right? Like the whole reason that you're bringing up him like whining about his line mates, which I think is unfair. I feel like someone at Phil Kessel's uh, caliber should be in the top six. I feel like I would whine too if I'm a point per game player and I'm having to play with the likes of uh, what am I looking at here? Tanner Pearson and Derek Broussard or whatever on the third line. So I don't know. I think that uh, he could be maybe better at even strength than he was last year and then, you know, but then take that hit on the power play so he falls a little bit, but maybe not so much. Uh, he'll always hold his place in my heart because he helped help Pittsburgh get two back-to-back Stanley Cups, obviously. But at the end of the day, he's a baby. Um, and he's, I just kind of don't really like the guy. Elon got screwed um, on this one. In my like, I, I'm, I'm very much off Phil Kessel. Uh, you did make a point, Elon, about him being a floor pick here. And I actually disagree. I think that you could make the argument that he's a ceiling pick here because if he pops off, then it's worth it. But like, I just going from the spot where he is benefiting from playing with superstars to a spot where he basically has to make it work with between him and Clayton Keller. I just, I think there's a lot of downside here. Dave mentioned the next player and that's, I, I didn't realize that Debrinket was up next, but yeah, I just don't see how we can justify picking Phil Kessel ahead of Alex Debrinket. I'd prefer Victor Arvidsson here. I'd pick, I'd, I'd prefer Kyle Palmieri over uh, no. Phil Kessel at this point. Uh, that's a bit much. I mean, with those hits, with those shots, I definitely, like, as far as total points goes, yeah. Maybe. I, I guess the thing is, you know, like, look at Artemi Panarin, right? Like, everyone thought, like, he was, ben- like I said, everyone thought he was benefiting from playing with Kane. Then he went to Columbus. Who Who was he really playing with? Like, Atkinson wasn't anything, really, at that point. And... Yeah, but- Artemi Panarin is a play driving winger who like produces his own stuff. Like Phil Kessel just doesn't have that level of uh, 
play driving to his game. I hear you. Well, that's why we're talking pick uh, 42 and not pick 32. Yes, fair. Uh, all right. No, but now I get to argue. Oh, no, I'm against the bring. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> <Dave>. <laughs> yes, I get to argue for Alex DeBrincat. Point Dave here. You might as well just fill it in the bag. Easy pick here. He's a superstar, 76 points in 82 games. I would even put him kind of in the range of like an Elias uh, Pedersen. Was, does that sound correct? Elias. Elias Patterson. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd put him in kind of that kind of category of like a superstar. So he could really be in the top 20s. Whenever he was picked in the patron rankings, he was like one of those players that's like, oh, yeah, holy crap. How do we forget about him? We need to put him in now uh, kind of situations. Um, he's playing with one of the best players in the world, Patrick Kane. Uh, they traded for his uh, buddy there, uh, Strom, and it's going to be pretty hard to break up that line. Even if he do, he drives his own play. He gets his own points. Um, he's someone who's when you talk about 70 points was Phil Kessel's ceiling, 70 points is probably going to be this guy's floor. I'd say he has the potential to probably be a 100-point player um, in the right situation if he sticks on Kane's line all year, gets that top power play time all year, which I don't see any reason why he wouldn't have any of those things if the coach knows what's best for this team. Uh, they're get, And they're going to be a better team. They're going to score more points. And I, if you get him at this point, it's an absolute deal there's you might as well just concede this point elon i'm okay with that we need to save time anyways yeah like maybe you could just recycle my arguments i made for Braden point and we saw how that worked out for me and now it's a later pick so it's definitely <laughs> hard to uh say too much but i will say again you are taking a guy who's had one good season and uh he was taken in the second round like it's not as if he was like a for sure high pedigree guy he had a couple good years in the minors but like now he had this good season last year but like dylan strome Maybe he's not as good as we saw in Chicago. Like, I don't know if anyone expected Dylan Stroh to be like a point per game guy like he was showing in Chicago. So there is some downside here. Like, it's definitely not a sure thing. But uh, I will say the upside is, is clearly there, and he's only 21. So it's, it's really hard. I agree with you, Elon, as far as Dylan Strom goes. Like, I, that's the question mark for me is whether or not he's as good as he looks. Uh, the other thing with DeBrinkett is just there's no peripherals there. He's not hitting. Uh, he's, you know, if he if he... I think we we kind of forget because he finished the season so well and he was so good on the power play that he had a huge stretch where people were like, there was a huge buy low window on Alex Dabrinkit uh, in November and December where he just slumped so hard and it looked like the breakout was being postponed. But I mean, what an incredible finish to the season. It's impossible to argue against him at this spot, I think. Yeah, it's uh you're you're lucky if you're getting him here. I think we we kind of blew it a bit. Like I could see Alex Dabrinkit like I could see myself really projecting him high in the almanac and I could see him being a guy that we're talking about in the twenties, maybe next year. Like if he could really have this breakout that I think he can, like, I don't see why he has to be so, so far away from again, like even like your Rantanins who I don't want to like hammer on this pick, but like, I think to bring it could be similar to Rantanin next year with like more goals, right. And more quick, shots. Quick comparison for you guys. Um, Landis Gog or to bring it. Uh, Mm, that's a good one like landis Cock has those peripherals right he has his hits and his shots uh but i oh man i don't know okay I, can i defer can i let someone else answer first in the um in the cupful i'm probably gonna roll with landis Cog because of the total point value of all of the peripherals i think i might roll with debrinket in a multi-cat because the goals are so uh, valuable and so hard to find. So I, I can see value in each. It's definitely a bit of a hedge on my part and a bit of a cheap answer. But um, yeah, in my keeper league, I would rather have Alex to Yeah. 
I, yeah, I, I guess. I, I was just going to say that because that's kind of like a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. People are like, oh, you should have went higher. It's like, well, you got to knock some people down then, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess the thing with Landis Cog, I wasn't lying when I said I do have a bit of concern about maybe he's not on the top line next season. And I think that Dabrinkit actually is going to become one of these players where he is like the top guy. Like, you know, like, I guess you always have Patrick Kane there and he's he's Patrick Kane. But if they play on the same line, you know, that's magic. If that could somehow happen then like sky's the limit. But even if he doesn't, he's like, I think the other players are still just benefiting from playing with Debrinket. So I like, I think I'd like his point. I definitely like his point ceiling higher. And then it's just a matter of breaking down like these peripherals and seeing if what, what Landeskog brings makes up for it. I also just like Debrinket's so young. I just really expect him to have a surge. I think like, you know, Landeskog is going to go down. Debrinket's going to go up. I just have to decide like, you know, if it's going to like meet at the same place or if one's going to end up higher than the other. All right. Seth Jones. Yes, yeah, so I'm arguing Jones, nice, reliable defenseman here, right? Like he only had 46 points in 75 games last year. So it's only a 50 point pace compared to 60 point pace the year before. But he was still one of the top defensemen in our format just because he's good for hits. He's good for blocks. He's good for shots. Like just across the board, super valuable. Uh, like he had 4.5 points per game. Uh, that's right around your like headmans and, and and guys like that. So I feel like Seth Jones, like last year wasn't even like his best year and he still was like super valuable or at least like he was right in the conversation with all the defensemen here. But I think he has room still to grow because he showed us he could put up like a 60 point pace in 2017-18. Last year, that Columbus power play, again, so terrible. He only had 10 power play points. If Columbus maybe could turn it around, shake things up, I don't think he's going to get much worse. And I think there's room for him to do better. So I feel like awesome floor pick here with the chance of a decent ceiling. So I think you can't go wrong. It's maybe not the biggest swing you could take. Like you could swing on someone like Morgan Riley to, you know, once again, get 70 points, but he doesn't give you the peripherals. Plus maybe he has the risk of Tyson Barry coming in. Then you can say the same thing about Tyson Barry about Morgan Riley, or you could just go Seth Jones. Good pick. He's going to get you your like, whatever it was. What did I say? Four point no, five point four point five points per game. I don't see that going lower. I can only see, see it staying the same or going higher. Easy argument here for me. Yeah, Elon mentioned uh, for me, thank you, Elon, that he only got 46 points last year. Uh, So he's not even elite in my eyes, 45 points. I mean, that's decent, uh, but he's also someone uh, that isn't even a sure thing to be the top power play quarterback. Uh, There's a very good possibility that he's going to lose that throughout the season. They might go to a two defense system. That's not a sure thing. Not only that, uh, there's so many other better options that you can get down the line here in regards to defensemen that are still on the board. Uh, I think Subban is still available right now in the sixties in the patron rankings. And then looking at even at Seth Jones uh, points last year, it was ridiculous. Looking at some of the players who were above him, Darnell nurse, Jeff Petrie. Uh, are you total points? Yeah. Total points for Indica couple for the season. Darnell Nurse had more than Seth Jones. That can't be true. Oh, wow. It's true. It's true. Well, Dar- it's Nurse true. did play seven more games, but yeah, that's uh, he was a bit ahead. Damn. Darnell Nurse, is he going <laughs> to... Let's just derail this whole thing now. How good is <laughs> Darnell Nurse for next year? Should he be... like? No one's even mentioning him. He's going to get laughed out of the room if someone votes for him next in Kukupful. Uh But yeah, he... Okay, I got to bring up this guy's numbers. I didn't realize he was so high. 
Yeah, it's a good. I appreciate you uh, appreciating my point there. And so he so, had forty-one. He had forty-one points on the year. I, that's a quiet. If you would ask me how many points Darnell Nurse had last year, I would have been like thirty. Oh, I think then a nice number of hits and blocks. But he was like lots of hits, lots of blocks, and yeah, forty-one points. What was the reason? And like Clefbaum was there, right? Like Nurse just overtook him. I guess that now the question Clefbaum is... was Clefbaum was hurt for a while, and then I think when he came back, I think Nurse kind of kept that top power play time for the most. Yeah, part. then there there is this guy they drafted a couple of years ago that maybe could step in. Evan Bouchard. Yeah, Evan Bouchard. I don't know if Nurse is like their answer. I hope for like Edmonton that their long term answer isn't Nurse on the top power play. I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, a lot of perifs. One ninety six shots, one sixty two hits, one forty six blocks. Twenty three minutes per game, almost twenty four minutes per game on average. Damn, this is a good uh, guy in fantasy. He even gets you some pims. So maybe he's but, like, but yeah, Seth Jones, bad pick. Look at all these <laughs> other you can, when you can get Darnell Nurse yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and many others. At this point, um, you're really shooting yourself in the foot here if you take him at this point. Darnell Nurse probably over Alex Edler. He's like Alex Edler, except without the injury concern. No, Alex Edler over everyone. Yeah, Edler is a, gets injured all the time. But he's anyway. great. Be power play one. Um, Seth Jones. Seth Jones. Can you take Seth Jones over Morgan Riley or Roman Yossi? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's a hard argument for me here because I do like, especially someone like Roman Yossi because Morgan Riley. Yeah. Now you have a question mark. I know Brian's like, for some reason, like super convinced from our last episode that it's like, it's his top power play and Barry like doesn't have a chance. I'm exact. Brian hates when I exaggerate. I just like sometimes exaggerate for fun. Right. I said in our, slow draft chat about how brian hates uh jonathan taves and he was like i did elon says that i either love someone or i hate someone no middle ground with elon you know it's trying to be funny but anyway uh, you're yeah. the jade in your relationship with brian and i'm like brian i'm to brian what you are to what jade is to you in, in our friendship it's very funny should that be good uh, should i be happy being the jade it's pretty dope i guess yeah, yeah Jade's great okay i'll take it yeah. Uh, being the Ben sounds pretty nice as well, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Roman Yosi, I would take, right. Because Roman Yosi is like top power play. I like Nashville. Like, I feel like everyone's given up on this team, but they just signed Matt Duchesne. Uh, like Arvidsson was injured for time. Like, I don't know. I just feel like Nashville's going to still be a good team. And now Roman Yosi for the first time ever doesn't have anyone to compete with for power play time. And, and like even ice time probably. So I really like Roman Yosi. I feel like he's like super underrated. And I would take him probably over Seth Jones, especially because he also gets like, what are the, I'm just trying to compare the peripherals here. Yosi, so Jones hits more, but our hits are only worth 0.25. And then blocks were pretty similar. Jones is like, uh, actually Yosi was ahead, but I guess in, in uh, average per game. More. No, it's average per game. They're about even, but I think shots. Yosi has, sorry. Shots, sorry. Oh, shots. And no, I was talking about blocks. Yeah. For shots. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yozzi had 274. Yeah, Roman Yozzi should be going around John Carlson. I think I'm like... I think I, he's a top five defenseman in this format. Yeah, uh, I hope that Dave gets amnesia and forgets this conversation so that I could get Roman Yozzi for nice value in the auction draft for tier one. <laughs> Still 12 other people there. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of people. I feel like he's going to fall. Well, I don't know, just from the way I've seen also in our slow drafts, he's fallen. No, I mean 12 other people drafting. No, no, I know. That's what I mean. I need them all to (laughs) not pay attention. So anyway, unfortunately for Elon, I think this one's a tough one to justify. And so I have to give Dave the uh, con argument on this one. Yeah, I do think Seth Jones could be better. Like, I don't know if uh, Wierenski has really shown himself to be worthy of taking the top power play over Jones. And he did get 60 points the year before. So 
I think the fact that he's there, you know, there's always that threat. All right. We've been going for a while here. So how about we end it at 45? Let's do our last one. I'm the one. I'm going to be the loser to pull the cord here. But we could end on Evgeny Kuznetsov, who is ranked exactly where he was in the previous season. Dave wrote same with a big exclamation point. So Dave, are you happy to see Evgeny Kuznetsov land in the same spot 45 as he was the year before? Well, even if I was pro or con, I'd be happy. That always kind of nerds me out when someone's the exact same ranking <laughs> as the year before. You'd think he would either do either a little bit better or a little bit worse. But I digress. I am happy, very happy to get Kuznetsov here at 45 overall. He's a great pick. Uh, he's incredibly consistent. Uh, 72 points in 76 games last year, almost a point-per-game player. Uh, you know what you're getting from him, reliability and points. He's going to get you shots. He only shot 10.9% last year, uh, so nothing crazy in regards to regression is going to happen to him. His lines are going to be the same. He's going to be on the top power play. Uh, I don't see necessarily anything bad about him unless other than the fact that he's a center. Um, obviously, there's that whole argument that we've been harping on the whole time. But other than that, he's a fantastic pick here. I don't know. If you're saying that like you think he's going to be the same, then that kind of concerns me because there's a lot of centers that were better than him last year in terms of fantasy points per game. and That are below him? Like were better than him, had more points. That, oh, yeah, that haven't been drafted yet. Like I'm just going through the list now. Uh, I'm seeing, did we, have we drafted uh, Mika Zibanejad yet at this point? I don't think so. Uh, Jake Gensel? who's not even a center and he's, he's still available. He like has center eligibility plus left wing and right wing. I definitely take Gensel over considering he had so many more points per game, but then even like Sean Monahan, uh, Jonathan Taze, uh, Couturier, Tomas Hurdle, like, uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, like Kuznetsov had 4.8 fantasy points per game. All these guys I just mentioned had five and I don't see a reason to expect Kuznetsov to do more. So like, yeah, even if he gets you point per game, the peripherals and the shots just aren't there to justify taking him above all these other guys. I think so. I don't know. I, I wouldn't take him here. I don't see a point. If if anything, if I'm like loving Kuznetsov so much, I see he, him as a, at the worst or at the best, like in the same tier as some of these other guys I took. So it just tells me no point taking a center here. Let me wait for the next round. Let me grab a winger or a defenseman or a goalie and I'll come around. One of these other defensemen will still be around. That's this. If I don't get Kuznetsov boohoo, I'll end up with Sean Monahan, and it's like just as good, maybe better. So that's my argument. Yeah, I I can't justify Kuznetsov here uh, after the season he had. Um, what? Yeah, no. It's a uh, look at the centers that are ahead of him. It's it's a long list. Um, center at this point is a position that I'm just not targeting uh, in the 40s. It's unless you're getting a huge value from somebody who's fallen from the top uh, top group. 72 points from a center who doesn't provide any level of peripherals, doesn't shoot a lot. I doesn't do a lot for me. All right, point, oh, Elon. Oh, have we, brutal, brutal. Have we been keeping track? Let's just say I it was have. a tie. Oh, you have. <laughs> I have been keeping track. It is not a tie. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I guess it's a tie in the sense that I gave Elon the crown from uh, the first edition. But <laughs> uh, in a cumulative sense, between the two, uh, for the, I guess I, I ranked, or I, I judged on 13 from the first and 15 today. Um, it looks like. No, you did 20. You did 20, yeah. Did we do 20? Oh, sorry. 45. Just a yep. second. Two. And let's not count the first 13. I just want to know who won today. Oh, Dave definitely won today. Okay. <laughs> um, for, this is good content. Yeah, how about <laughs> you do the math? 
maybe I'll just take a quick second to do a shameless plug here. Normally, for patron-only content, that's like your bonus content. Normally, I'm not going to plug because I'm already so thankful for you, the patrons, to be supporting us. But to be fair, like that, like the patron cast is what we promise. This is just a bonus extra thing. And oh, and first of all, by the way, let me take a second to thank obviously Ben and Dave taking the time out of their day to chat with me. And I think we just like put together a really awesome podcast. You guys are great, and I'd love to do this again when once we get up to 75. Well. I guess we didn't even get up to 50 today, but I don't know. I could, I could definitely do this again in a couple of weeks. I'd be happy to keep this series going. This was a lot of fun. Um, but since I'm going to just take this opportunity because I have the chance, you've heard it. If you're a patron, you obviously know that we're recording this uh, audio almanac. We're going to be recording at the end of August. Brian's actually coming to visit me today, and we're going to work out a bunch of schedule stuff. So we, we will soon be able to drop some official scheduling for when we expect the almanac to be recorded because one of your perks of pre-ordering is you get to listen to us live if you want, or, or even if you don't listen live, you get access to those chapters on YouTube or wherever it'll be like before we actually end up editing the audio. Anyway, all that said, uh, we would love your uh, support to pre-order the Almanac. If you go to, to well, okay, keepingcarlson.com slash Almanac is where the schlubs go. But since you guys are the patrons, then just check if you go on Patreon under posts and you'll see one of our posts, we link to a patron discount code to get 10% off. You pre-order the Almanac, you get some nice perks we've came up with, including the slow draft, which we're starting a couple on Monday. We've still got four spots left for our third slow draft that uh, will start as soon as we get those four more pre-orders. So when you pre-order it, then you get to download a PDF file and then it gives you a link to go sign up for the slow draft. So we'd love to get you in. So if you haven't done it yet, We'd love to have you in the slow draft. We'd love to have your support overall, like uh, ordering this almanac. We're definitely going to put a lot of work into it and hopefully make it worth your uh, 18 bucks. So that, that's my plug. And DM, if you can't find the link for the discount code, just DM me on Facebook and I'll, I'll give it to you. Elon Dubrovsky is my name on Facebook. Okay, that's all I got to say. So yeah, Ben, Dave. Okay. Oh yeah, let's do some more plugs. Uh, out of a- yeah, average time on ice, right? Still cook in that twitter account i love it so much How, what percentage of those tweets are, are from you would you say is it is it a third a third a third or is someone really like running it right now oh i really don't know um it kind of depends for me i run hot and i run cold as far as my tweet frequency um but i will say that it is uh 100 champ tweets uh <laughs> like that for sure uh that's at average uh avg time on ice avg t-i-m-e-o-n-i-c-e you know how to spell yeah, if you like hockey and you like fun, then you'll like that Twitter account. I think they're really, they drive me crazy. Thank you, Elon. We love y'all. Uh, and Dave, thanks as always for running this shit on the Facebook group. And uh, are you going to be doing Stream Scheme again next year? Because I, yeah. I was bad when it went away. Yeah, I always start out hot and fizzle down the stretch, but maybe this time I'll be able to go all the way through. The main the main thing is that like like around like halfway the year, I feel like I'm just kind of saying the same players every week at this point, just because... Like I, I just like guys, right. you know, and I don't. I try to kind of mix it up, but I also don't want to be not giving the players that I think are the best pickups right. and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, it makes it. We, we let's talk about it sometime over the summer. Maybe we just need a small format change to keep it fresh throughout the year. Like a co-host <laughs> or maybe something. We, I'll bet we can come up with something because it's a really funny show, and it, I think it's really useful because that's one thing Brian and I can't get to, like you know, every single schedule every week and like which teams have right. schedules. So that's I think a really handy thing to have aside from just like which players are hot and cold in general okay so this has been fun it's been almost two hours so let's cut it here uh thanks everyone for listening thanks ben and dave and i'll see you all in the facebook group bye y'all yeah.